get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it was great to see Michelle Smallman again this week, walking through the studio door, smiling broadly as if her her weight of the world <laughs> shoulders that have existed for the first four months of the baseball season are now gone. She's just she's like flying through the air. She's so happy. How could you not be smiling when you wake up in St. Louis this morning after the Cardinals beat the Mets 11 to four, completing the series sweep and getting that much further into the wild card position that they captured during this road trip, Randy? The pitching has been good. The offense has come alive. You've got dramatic catches, entertaining baseball games. This has been a great three-game series for the Cardinals. As the Cardinals sweep the Mets, the Padres did rally to beat the Giants late last night, so they remain a game behind the Cardinals in the wild card race, and the fading Reds were walked off. We'll have that one for you in just a moment. But first, let's head to City Field. First inning last night, Paul Goldschmidt doubles to uh, move Tommy Edmond to third, and Tyler O'Neill steps to the plate. On 3-0, and it's a base hit into the gap in left center. All the way to the wall. O'Neal to second. Two runs will score. 2-0 Cardinals here in the first. They turn him loose, and it pays off with a double by O'Neal. Already a 2-0 St. Louis lead. And the Cardinals were able to build that lead up. It was an 8-4 game in the bottom of the seventh. Already a run. It started at 8-3, so it's 8-4 now. You've got runners at first and third. And Pete Alonzo, Michelle's guy from the Home Run Derby, yes. steps in and appears, appears to make it a one-run game. And Alonzo hits it out to deep right. Newt Bar back. Lars Nudbar, a guest of Carriker and Smallman earlier this week on 101 ESPN. Yeah, I'm concerned that the NYPD apprehended him post-game because that was a robbery. Grand larceny. In front of a lot of people. There were a lot of witnesses to that crime. However, Randy, we've been told that there is what's called the Carriker and Smallman bump, the morning show bump, that whenever we have someone on the show, they go out and have an incredible performance. Case in point, Adam Wainwright, who joins us every week. Mm -hmm. Do we need to say anything more? Just Adam Wainwright. David Perron, our weekly guest during the Blues season. Who led the Blues in points last year? Thank you. David Perron. You're welcome. Large Newtbar came on the show this week, and I said to you after the interview that Large Newtbar has all the makings of the next Cardinals Devil Magic guy, and what does he do? He goes out there and makes that unbelievable catch. He saves the game. He is a huge reason why the Cardinals ended up winning that game, completing the sweep, and there's a ton of people in New York this morning waking up, listening to Sports Talk Radio on the Big Apple, saying, who is Large 
new bar. How do the Cardinals come up with guys like this? Of course it's some guy that we've never heard of named Large New Bar that helps the Cardinals win this game. So I'm not saying that it was us, but I'm also not not saying that it was us, okay? <laughs> Bader, Goldie, and Arenado all with home runs. The big guys strike again for the Redbirds. The Cardinals got good enough pitching. John Lester going six, allowing three runs. Only two of those were earned. He struck out seven and didn't walk anybody. And six innings from Lester is huge. Andrew Miller is having his struggles, and I kind of think he might not be on the postseason roster. And then T.J. McFarland, he was the beneficiary of that catch by Newt Bar. And Justin Miller finished up to win it for the Cardinals 11-4. to When did Newt Bar, after Alonzo had hit that ball, know that he had a chance to get it? Honestly, initially, I thought I thought it was going over. And then as I, I turned around, tried to check to find the wall, and then I looked back up, and I was like, okay, it's not as well struck as I thought. So I just trying to find find my footing right by the wall and then you know, obviously you know leap and try to do what I can. Also in the frame, the Cardinal center fielder making his way over there just in case, Harrison Bader. Yeah, I mean the, the perspective was obviously as soon as it was hit, I mean it was over his head and I was, you know, when you kinda go in those zones you, you almost pretend as if you're there and I kinda did a little the little, you know, hop as if I was kinda mimicking the play. And you know, again, like I said before to um, you know on the uh, on the previous broadcast I you know I've, I've been plunged in those situations before your defensive replacement um, and you know really just your head's kind of spinning you things are moving really fast so for him to uh, you know just come in and make a really good play uh, that's awesome and you know who knows we, we might still be playing if he doesn't make that play so um, everybody's a contributor especially down the stretch here it's, you know every you know it's just about doing what you gotta do to move a runner maybe that's the difference in the game or you know hitting a home run making a good play on defense whatever it is everybody's going to contribute to team wins and you know he had a big moment there so I'm very very happy and very proud of him and, and yeah that's what we're about and Lars spoke with us about Harrison Bader and how he's been a great mentor to him and helped him acclimate himself to the majors but if you go back and watch that play, there's so many little things. There's so much nuance to that play that if you're a Cardinals fan that you love, you love that Lars Newbar has his tongue hanging mm-hmm. out of his mouth as he makes that unbelievable play. Air Newt, a lot of people were calling him last night in <laughs> reference to Michael Jordan. But more importantly, Randy, when you go back and watch that play, I love watching every Cardinals response to that yeah. play. Harrison Bader is so pumped. You see TJ McFarland so pumped. If you look at the dugout, everyone's going nuts. That is is what I love about this team right now is they have that energy. They're having fun. They have confidence. They mm-hmm. believe in themselves. And so many times this season watching Cardinals baseball, we as fans have felt stagnant watching them play. And so to have this infusion of energy and excitement and see that translated into results is really, really exciting. It's also, well, two things about this. Number one, so fitting because after the play, Newt Barr and Harrison Bader did the jump and bump, yes. which was invented by Tori Holt. There you go. So uh, Holt and Bruce an homage to the greatest show on turf right here in St. Louis. And you mentioned Lars Newbar had his tongue out and he was asked last night, how long has he been doing that? <laughs> had his tongue out while he's playing for as long as I can remember. We have literally pictures uh, from when, you know, I was in T-ball, you know, and in, in the infield of the outfield, just with my tongue. out, I can never find a good, good action shot of myself. Uh, so that's kind of always been that thing. I don't know. It's just natural. Just, I, 
I wish I didn't do it, but you know, that's it. Just it is what it is at this point. We need a shirt, an Air Newt, where it's yeah. the Air Air Jordan symbol, but it's Lars Newbar making the grab, just a shadow. Uh, I'm sure there's someone smart in St. Louis. Maybe our friends at Arch Apparel can get that done. But that is a shirt that we need because this is not the last that we're going to see of Lars Newbar. I'm telling you, he is going to be a fan favorite, and I. I think he's going to be the devil magic guy this season. I don't know how far the Cardinals are going to be able to take it, but I don't think this is the last time Lars Newbar makes an important play for the Cardinals. I believe my favorite fan reaction of all time was when Yachty hit the home run in 2006 in Game 7. The fan reaction last night was pretty awesome to see the Mets fans just despondent and beside themselves when he made that catch. That was fun. My favorite fan reaction of all time was the Brad Lidge home run when Albert Pujols yeah. sent that ball to the moon because I've never heard that many people go silent that quickly. It was unbelievable. But we said that Lars Newbar was the guy that people in New York would be like, who? And we mm-hmm. get a text from the 636. My pal from NYC texted this last night. Who the hell is Lars Newbar? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I'm, the fan reaction last night, Everyone in that stadium's like, who? Of course it's the Cardinals. Who? Just who the Cardinals are. I saw a video of a guy last night who said the, the series was terrible, but at least my son did this. And it was a video of a little boy yelling at Yachty or Molina saying, Yachty, you ruined my dad's life in 2006. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And the Cardinals trying to ruin the lives of some Reds fans, too. <laughs> the Cardinals aren't the only ones that are trying to ruin the fans, uh, Reds fans fans live so Cincinnati thought they were going to win this wild card race as a matter of fact on August 28th Michelle I tweeted this on my Twitter at uh, Randy Carricker this is August 28th today it's September 16th I tweeted if the Reds play 500 ball in their remaining 32 games they played at a 587 clip for the last three months the Cardinals 479 for the last three months would have to go 22 and 13 in their remaining 35 628 ball to tie in the wild card race hashtag not great <laughs> since that tweet the Reds have gone four and twelve. The Cardinals have gone eleven and seven. Wow! <laughs> and the Cardinals are a game and a half ahead. After last night, Pittsburgh hosting Cincinnati goes to the bottom of the ninth, tied four four. Runner aboard, and here's how it ended. Votto. They send him around third, and Defoe scores. The Reds lose five to four. Little ground ball to the first baseman. They get the out at first, and Wilmer Depot doesn't stop as he's rounding third, comes in, slides home safely for the winning run. And the Pirates, we know the pain, Reds fans, the Pirates knock off the Reds with a bottom of the ninth play. Absolutely brutal. Can you imagine being a Reds fan and putting your hopes into this team? Joey Votto having an unbelievable season. You think maybe this is the year that they can get in, make a run, have a chance, and then... They go on this free fall at the exact wrong time. But you've said it many times, Randy, September baseball is a different animal. And a lot of teams are not built to withstand September. It seems like the Cardinals are built to ascend Mm -hmm. in September. I don't know why, but it's something that we've seen many times before. And we're seeing it yet again. The Padres were able to rally and knock off the Giants 9-6. So San Diego is a game back of the Cardinals. Philadelphia beats the Cubs. So they stay three back of the Cardinals. And the Mets are pretty much finished. Five back in the wild card race so the way it stands now Cardinals 76 and 69 seven games over as they welcome the Padres to town for the weekend after an off day today Padres 75 and 70 and then the Reds and the Phillies and that'll be it for the National League wild card race cannot wait for this Padres Cardinals series this is gonna be a lot of fun 
And you know what? Hey, if you like the Cardinals, as Michelle has mentioned, this is fun right now. You're celebrating the 10-year anniversary of the 2011 World Championships. World Championship team. There are going to be tons of tickets available on the secondary market. You should get out there and support this ball club because they're trying hard now and they're fun to watch. This is a different team than what we saw for June, July, and August. They just did not have a fun summer. <laughs> no, they did not. They had to go to Grandma's house and eat liver. Did and you have to eat a, liver at your Grandma's house? That yeah, was the worst. Are you serious? Yep. See, when I went to my grandma's house, it was like, turn on Nickelodeon, we're having waffles, we're going to play some cards, don't tell your parents, whatever you want, you get. Yeah, that Grandma's house was the best. It did not fly for me. That was not the way it went. It was like, do your homework, turn off the radio, eat this liver. Yeah, kind of. Wow, brutal. Yeah, not great. Absolutely brutal. Yeah, go out and build something in a workshop. A workshop? Yeah. Okay, so. It was like a woodworking shop uh, that their garage was turned into. Were you whittling? There was a little whittling there. Made little, like, model airplanes and stuff. Okay, so the Cardinals' June was your experience at your grandparents' house. You totally got it. 100%. And And, and September is is my grandma's house. (laughs) We're having a great time in September. (laughs) But you're absolutely right. This is a perfect... It's going to be a beautiful weekend, beautiful weather. The BFIB needs to show up strong and support this team. And I just think it's so poetic, Randy, that you have the 2011 Cardinals that are going to be in the house, a team that nobody expected to do anything that was 10 and a half games back that everybody gave up on and that made a late run especially in September where they really started to turn it on and here are is this Cardinals team who everybody counted out who everybody doesn't think is that good and is making a run in September and again we don't know if this team is going to go that far but I'm enjoying every second of it while we can. It's been a lot of fun. We have professional football here on 101 ESPN tonight 7 o'clock the Giants against Washington. Don't forget to get to 101 ESPN Dot com and make your picks in the Pick'em Challenge oh, for the week. Thank you for the reminder. I need to do that right now. Everybody needs to do that. <laughs> and if you're planning on utilizing a, a giant or a football teamer in your fantasy league, then you need to make sure that you have that in tonight by 7 o'clock. Just a little uh, help from Uncle Randy here. Thank you, Uncle little, Randy. Little reminder. Log in right now. We're off and running on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line. 65780. Sick of it is coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Randy and Michelle with you on 101 ESPN. And coming up at the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to Greg Amzinger of MLB Network. And you can get your text in now to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Michelle Brooks Kepka again is in the news as we head towards the Ryder Cup. He said in an interview with Golf Digest that he really wasn't a huge fan of the Ryder Cup. He said, it's tough. There are times when I'm like, I won my match. I did my job. What do you want from me? I know how to take responsibility for the shots I hit every week. Now, somebody else hit a bad shot and left me in a bad spot. I know this hole is a loss. That's new. And you have to change the way you think about things. You go from an individual sport all the time to a team sport one week a year. It's far from my normal routine. And Paul Azinger of NBC responded, I'm not sure he loves the Ryder Cup that much. And if he doesn't love it, he should just relinquish his spot and get with people there or get people there who do love it. Uh, 
I got to tell you, I'm I'm sick of uh, Brooksy, and I'm with Paul Azinger here. If he doesn't like it, if he doesn't want to play, there's other guys that'll play. Uh, Brooksy, you're you're complaining. I'm sick of it. There are a lot of guys that would love that opportunity mm-hmm. to Patrick play. Patrick Reed being one of them. Yeah. It seems like he's the guy, though, that is always going to say what he's feeling, whether it's popular or not. He and Bryson both. Yeah, but I think he's just kind of a whiner. <laughs> I mean, you just... And while the viral video with the Shambo walking behind him was great, that's what I'm talking about. His reaction with the eye rolling and shh, that stuff. I'm sick of it. I don't blame you. I'd be sick of that, too. I don't like those comments either. You know what I'm sick of, Randy? Illinois football losing. Oh, man. You know, I was. You're just coming up with this now? (laughs) No, this is something I've been sick of for a long time. I was riding high, though, when Illinois beat Nebraska in their, their week zero opener. And yes, Nebraska has problems, but still, it was a great step in the right direction. The the opening of the Brett Bielma era. And then they follow with a loss to UTSA and then an absolute stomp down by Virginia. Yikes. In reality, I said it, and Rome was not built in a day. I know that Coach Bielma has some work to do. He knows he's got some work to do. And this is a team that he inherited and is going to have to, you know, put his fingerprints on and develop his style and his identity. And that's going to come over time. But it would just be really nice to wake up on a Saturday morning and feel like, you know, you're going to win. That is a great feeling then, from the old Mizzou days when Gary Pinkle was yeah. at the top of his game. That was pretty cool. Like, I, I think about what it would be like to be an Alabama fan or to, to be a Georgia fan, to wake up in the morning at, on a Saturday morning, get your coffee, get ready to go to the game or get ready to turn on the game and be excited because you know, no matter mm-hmm. who you're playing, that you have a chance to win. Clemson fans have felt that way for a long time. And I'm looking at Illinois versus Maryland this weekend thinking, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Don't See, know. At least Mizzou has SEMO. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but Illinois had UTSA. Now, listen, <laughs> UTSA was not going to be an easy opponent. They they have a lot of good things going there. But the fact that I even have to say that tells you where this program is. Yeah, right. You know, and again, we believe in coach. He's, he's going to get things rolling here. But I am sick of my football team, my university not winning. I get it. All right, Emily, uh, back and was on time today after that wild foray out into the the craziness of St. Louis last night on her birthday. That's right. Uh, hope your birthday was great. It was. Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. From the 314, sick of the net negative fans. Oh. <laughs> Did we save that? That Oh, it was a text. text yeah. Man, I wish I saved it. Winning the 2006 and 2011 World Series was a net negative for the Cardinals. A net negative. Yeah. Hey, there's there's got to be someone out there that's wrong. That's Not true. Not everybody be, can be correct. Yeah. Can you imagine, though, if that person goes into a bar or goes to watch a, a game or goes to the game with their friends and they say that out loud? Do your friends just roast you forever? Yeah, I, I would hope so. And here's the thing. If you believe that's the case, here you must have believed that if the Cardinals did lose and didn't win the World Series in those years, that they would have become like the Dodgers, that they were going to go out and spend $260 million on payroll and go out and spend hundreds of million dollars on international free agents. <laughs> that was not going to happen. The Cardinals were not going to become what the Dodgers are right now. 
And guess what? It took a truncated season and a pandemic for the Dodgers to win. They had been built for success for a long time and couldn't get it done. Right. And there are about 27 franchises that would love to have that net negative since 2000. That's, I don't. You play to win the game. Yep. How is that a net negative? Anyway, we don't. We've wasted enough time on that text. <laughs> Sick of it. A text from the three one four just came in that says he or she is a net idiot. Yeah. <laughs> we don't like to name call, but that was a, that was bad. From the three one four, I'm sick of Robert Thomas not being signed. Yeah, I am too. Me too. And, it takes two sides to make a deal. Hopefully he'll make a deal by the time they get on the ice for training camp. I'm, I'm glad to have Bozy back. And they're going to have to figure something out under the salary cap by the time they start the regular season to be able to fit everybody under. Because right now, Oscar Sundquist, I guess he'll be okay. Sundquist will start the season on LTIR. But by the time he's ready, two, three weeks into the season, they're going to have to make a move. I would love to be a fly on the wall in Doug Armstrong's office. I wonder if he wakes up every morning morning, pour some coffee, goes into his office, sits down, and he's got a list of people that he's calling, and he's like, hey, Vladimir Tarasenko, interested yet? He's skating. Yeah. He's looking great. That shoulder's strong. Yeah. You interested? So, so that up? video that you took at, at, <laughs> while he's skating? Yeah, yeah, let me text you. Wait till you see this video. Look at him yeah. in the weight room. He's so strong. What do you think? Make a deal? <laughs> he just problem. runs through the I'm Rolodex sure every day. I'm sure that's the way it works. <laughs> From the 618, I'm sick of hearing about Urban Meyer when it's inevitable that he's not going to last. If they know they messed up, they need to move on and try to salvage the season. I don't know that they know that they messed up yet, and he'll last for three years or whatever. And then he'll start getting headaches. It'll be bad. He'll quit. Do you think he lasts three years? Yeah. I do, too. Yeah. I don't think he's going to leave because this is somebody that believes in themselves that has the track record of success and even though things are a bit rocky in the beginning he's got Trevor Lawrence a starting quarterback a generational quarterback or at least a person who has the capability to be a generational quarterback is the most valuable resource in all of sports and the fact that he got it and has complete control there and is going to be able to build that team whichever way he wants that is very appealing And I don't know if going to USC or whatever other job might pop up is going to be more appealing than getting someone like Trevor Lawrence to build around. Operative word is complete control. His control level there is similar to what it was at Ohio State in Florida. And if he slipped up and he was a jerk at Ohio State in Florida, there were like four or five or six or seven or eight boosters that could go and say, hey, we don't want this guy around anymore. Now there's only one guy who's given him complete control. If he keeps that one guy, Shad Khan happy, he's going to be be there and he nobody else has more juice in that organization not even Chad Cotton's son than Urban Meyer does from the 314 sick of it national media national media being completely silent on the Rams lawsuit what will it take for them to cover this story a lot of people have been complaining about this and one of the issues is for let me toss a couple of things out there number one Kevin Demoff's father is Peter King's agent. So Peter King isn't going to isn't going to get the information that we have and spread it nationally that Kevin Demoff is such a scoundrel. It's just not going to happen. He's not going to do that to his own agent's son. That's why he suggested Kevin, Kevin Demoff could be commissioner of the league in a column because his, Kevin Demoff's dad is his agent. Kevin Demoff also plays the political game very well. For example, Adam Schefter. Not just, I, I'm singling him out because he's the best. Mm-hmm. But he gets a lot of good quality information from Demoff. So these people all know that Demoff is 
is the big target here. <laughs> I, I was told by one of the, the attorneys in the, uh, in the case, we got to keep them off in bubble wrap. <laughs> <laughs> we got to protect him because he's our key guy. So if you know this, if, if you're a national person and you know this and you have this information, you, do, you don't want to ruin Kevin Demoff for a while, which you would do if you report the facts here. To his credit, Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk is doing it. Uh, our friend Daniel Kaplan of The Athletic is working on it. We know Seth Wickersham of ESPN is working on it. The, the big national guys aren't doing it yet, but they'll just look bad when we get to uh, January and Wickersham and Kaplan and Florio, and especially Wickersham and Kaplan, have been writing about it since 2017 and these people jump on the boat when the NFL is about to lose. I just pictured Kevin Demoff wrapped up like that kid from <laughs> Little Giants, you know, with the padding <laughs> all around. And one other thing with that, and, and I don't know this to be true, it's just something I'm curious about. I wonder with these other networks if they're waiting until a certain point because they're in bed with the NFL. Mm-hmm. Monday Night Football is a huge ESPN property. C- CBS carries NFL games. Fox, of course, is a huge NFL property. And... NFL Network. NFL Network is clearly (laughs) not going to cover it. But I do wonder how much of an influence the NFL has on the coverage of this with those networks when they they know that the, the highest ratings per week on these networks is coming from NFL games. The other part of this is that the trial itself hasn't started yet. And national media did cover the Al Davis versus NFL trial and the USFL versus NFL trial. So my anticipation would be that there will be more coverage of it in January when the actual trial starts. Thanks for your text. We do appreciate it. Coming up, we're going to visit with our buddy, the lead anchor for MLB Network, native St. Louis and Greg Amzinger on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Okay, I will. And let me just tell you this. While I was wearing those red pants, you're going to love this. Nolan Arenado walks up on stage. Obviously, he knows that I he's my favorite player. He gives me a big hug. And he whispers in my ear. This is no joke. This is true. He goes, hey, we're playing the wild card game. That's exactly He said that to me in my ear. And I go, oh, for real? He goes, watch. Watch. He goes, wow. I, I promise you we're playing the wild card game. Okay. I was like, oh, my. I, I go, oh, no, I love you. Wow. This is in a commercial break. Like, the bromance is real. It is a wonderful <laughs> thing. Greg Amzinger on the Thursday after the All-Star game. That was July when the Cardinals looked to be dead in the water. And the prescient Nolan Arenado, at least we hope so, was whispering in Greg's ear, sweet nothings. Uh, we're playing in the wild card game, my man. Greg is with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. After a late night last night as the lead anchor for MLB Network. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I, I mean, how can I not be doing great? I, I love when uh, a great uh, comment we pull back from the archives to start the interview. I'm in a great mood watching the Cardinals do what they did at City Field. I was frustrated because they were like in my neck of the woods and I was working every night. I couldn't go to the ballpark and watch them score 25 runs in this series against the Mets. It was a breakout series. This is real. Nolan Arenado has never lied to me and he's not going to lie here. 
No, he's not, Greg. We're all aboard the train here. We've gotten off the panic bus and we're on the success train. So tell me why you think that the Cardinals could be dangerous if they are, in fact, a postseason team. I mean, they've got so much experience. And I think in a wild card game, if they get into the wild card game, if you're the Dodgers, you don't want to face a team like this. If you're the Giants, you don't want to face a team like this. You want to face a club that's got a bunch of young fireballers, a bunch of swag and position players, and they want to go out there and show in individually what they can do. You don't want Yadier Molina putting down the fingers for, you know, crafty 40-year-old Adam Wainwright when you've got Goldschmidt and Arenado standing there looking at you defensively. You don't want this mix of, of veteran leadership. And may I, may I just remind you that maybe, because we've learned to expect the unexpected, maybe John Lester comes out of the bullpen with his version of David Ross, Kisner, like he did with the Cubs, and Jay Happ might get the final out. Like, I did a segment last night where I apologized. I, I said I'm sorry. The San Francisco Giants have been wrong on all year long, all year long. I was wrong in many other categories, even though we started this interview with one great moment where Nolan Arenado was right. I've been wrong, and broadcasters in the media have been wrong. I rolled my eyes at John Mozeliak. When the Dodgers are getting Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, when the Giants are getting Chris Bryant, when the Blue Jays are getting Jose Barrios, Cardinals are getting John Lester and Jay Happ. What are we doing? <laughs> we don't know what – sometimes in the media we have to wave the white flag. We don't know what we're doing. We're not baseball executives. John Mosellock is. So I know you're driving right now in your Ford F-250 down Highway 70, and you're not – all these critics – John Mozeliak are quiet right now. I don't hear them talking. I'm not in St. Louis. I understand that's probably why, but this is good. John Mozeliak knows what he's doing. Trust him. When you get onto a plane, you don't walk into the cockpit and go, show me your credentials. No. You believe that the pilot knows what they're doing. John Mozeliak's a great pilot. He's never crashed this thing. Just trust you're going to have a smooth flight. I will never second-guess John Mozeliak again. Greg Amzinger, MLB Network, a product of the Lindenwood University and, of course, a native of St. Louis Cardinal fan. Hey, Greg, what's happened to the Reds? Why have they gone 4-12 and 12 in their last 16? Uh, it comes back. It's the exact opposite of what's working for the Cardinals. The starting pitching for the Reds has completely fallen apart. I like the back end. Michael Givens, who they acquired, has been really good for them. But they're starting pitching. They can't get a quality start. When you're having a hard time getting outs in Pittsburgh, and I know the Pirates walked it off last night, Roberto Clemente Day, on one of the best sends I've ever seen. Joey Cora, Puerto Rican third base coach, sending Wilmer Depot from second base on an infield ground ball to Joey Botto, bobbled, uh, and they scored to walk it off. When you're having a hard time keeping the Pirates off the scoreboard, there's an issue down the stretch. And this is a team that collectively gets hot. They collectively get ice cold. And that is what's going on right now. It is crazy how poorly they've played, especially when you looked ahead at the month of September and the Reds have one of the easiest schedules in the game. I mean, they're giving this thing away. There's a panic button being pushed in Cincinnati, and there's a party button being pushed in St. Louis. And we'll see if that continues the rest of the way. Well, Greg, the Reds aren't alone alone on their free fall here. Let's look behind the Cardinals and those wild card standings and tell me which team you think right now is the most disappointing. Is it the Padres, the Reds, the Phillies, or the Mets? 
Uh, it's for me, hands down, the Padres. I mean, I, I thought the Padres were the best team in the National League going into the season. Their starting pitching is the most disappointing group uh, in baseball next to the Philadelphia Phillies. Why would I say that? Last night, the Philadelphia Phillies, despite the fact they won the game on a cross-up, I've never seen that before, because there was no one at second base. There was no one standing at second base. So why are we going through all these crazy signs? Cubs lost the game on a cross-up that went to the backstop. The Philadelphia Phillies before that blew their 32nd game. They have 32 saves, and they have 32 blown saves. Their bullpen has been a disaster with completely different human beings in it from the last year and the year before that. How can something be contagious like that? It's been the case for the Philadelphia Phillies. The San Diego Padres starting rotation was supposed to be one of the best in the sport. And you, Darvish, to Blake Snell, who went on the aisle. All I need to tell you is this. The Padres, with all of their position player talent, with the closer who has more saves than anyone in the game, Mark Melanson, ERA right at two at the age of 37, with all these things that have worked for them, their starting rotation is so bad. The second Jake Arrieta got released with a six ERA, they signed him. The, the second Vincent Velasquez got released by the Philadelphia Phillies, they signed him. That is how desperate they are for starting pitching. It, it is terrible. And we'll see. As I say that, as I say that, if you're a Cardinal fan, be very leery of Fernando Tatis Jr. I would, when they're facing the Cardinals this upcoming series, do not let him beat you. Do not let Fernando Tatis Jr. beat you. He 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 he, he pouted. He, he was pouting playing right field. He didn't like playing baseball anymore, and his numbers dropped drastically. He's back at shortstop. Had four hits last night. Pitch around Fernando Tatis Jr. Make the rest of this lineup beat you because he's back and he's playing like an MVP. Yeah, just go back to the way the Cardinals treated Big Poppy in 2013 in the World Series. Oh, oh, Randy. Sorry. No, <laughs> we're riding high today, Randy. Sorry about that. Greg didn't. That drove me crazy, by the way. <laughs> I was on the field after that, and Fernando Tower, uh, David Ortiz came up on the set in the commercial break. He knew I'm a Cardinal fan. He's like, hey, puppy, sorry about that. <laughs> and I'm like, and I go, David, for real, why did they pitch to you? He's like, I was surprised. I'm like, I know, we all were. <laughs> hey, I want to go back to our mutual respect for the Giants because one of the things the Cardinals really have going for them is that the Giants not only have played the Padres here, the, today will be the completion of a four-game series, but they still have six left. Padres have, what, 17 games left, six against the Giants, and then the three here this weekend. Yeah, that's why last night to me was a big deal. Profar hit a big home run uh, in the seventh inning. He's only got four on the year. Uh, they had a couple other guys come through in the clutch. Musgrove was great, and he's been their ace. He's been their best pitcher going down the stretch. They're going to need lightning in a bottle. What happened with Lester and Happ in St. Louis is going to have to happen with Vince Velasquez in San Diego. And it's crazy for me to say that because there's a team in the postseason mix that doesn't want them anymore. The Philadelphia Phillies and the Padres need someone to give them a pleasant surprise. I really think it comes on the shoulders of Fernando Tatis Jr. Look, the two most talented baseball players offensively before Shohei Otani arrived on the scene going into the year, I thought it was Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Fernando Tatis Jr. These were two number one and two prospects in baseball four years ago. And Guerrero is dragging the Blue Jays into the postseason 
Tatis has a chance to do the same thing. And after watching him last night, he's got the flare back. He, he's happy again. And position matters. Just look at the splits of Mike Trout when he played left field compared to when he played center field. Remember that? Peter Borges was a better defensive center fielder in the eyes of the Angels front office. Mm-hmm. They had him play center field. You've got to make sure your best players are happy. It doesn't matter what their defensive run saved is at a position. If they're happy they're going to play at a better level, and that's what Fernando Tatis is doing. And he has an opportunity to drag the, his team into the wild card game. Hey, Greg, finally, I want you to pick three teams for – actually, two teams for us from that uh, American League wild card race. The Jays, Yankees, and Red Sox all tied at the moment with the A's three-and-a-half back and Seattle four back. Which of those two wind up as the American League wild cards? I think the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, with what they've got in the rotation, is a pleasant surprise. Uh, Robbie Ray is going to win the American League Cy Young, and one of the most unexpected Cy Young winners we've ever seen in ERA over six last year. Uh, incredible. Ryu, Alec Manoa has emerged, a former first-round pick, huge right-hander who wears the number six. Any pitcher with a single-digit number you, you're afraid of. Mm-hmm. They have really put it together. Barrios left the game with an ab kind of injury, but they don't think it's very serious. So now you're four deep in your rotation and you like it. I think the Jays will face the Yankees because that win last night, you need a little luck sometimes on your side. Runners at second and third, one out, ninth inning, you're down a run. Brett Gardner hits a blooper. Wade, who stole third, stops halfway. It's good base running. Glaber Torres almost ran into him. Glaber Torres thought, oh, this is down for sure. The ball was almost caught. May have, should have been caught. It barely drops. Glaber scores easily, and the Yankees win the game. You need luck on your side. The Yankees might have that, and that's the team no one wants. They're built to be in the wild card game. The biggest takeaway from that game last night, Aroldis Chapman looked as good as he's looked in three months. He was overly dominant. His split finger was unhittable, dropped off the table. So I think Blue Jays, Yankees, AL wild card, and don't be shocked if whoever wins that game goes to the World Series. Hmm. Uh, we won't be shocked. October 5th, Greg, Cards Dodgers, Wainwright Scherzer, Dodger Stadium. Oh, man. Could you imagine? Holy smokes. Matter of fact, this upcoming weekend, the Padres series is so big. I pulled the trigger, guys. I'm coming to St. Louis. I'm watching it. You I'm are? Gonna be at Sunday's game. Yeah, I'm going to be at Sunday's game. I'm coming to St. Louis because i got to see this in person. This is what the Cardinals have done to me. This is what Nolan Arenado has done my life. <laughs> I, I, I had enough. After last night, I had enough. Book the ticket. I'm coming to St. Louis. All right. Shoot me a text. We'll get together. All right. That sounds good, buddy. All right. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it as always. All right, guys. See that was fun. That's the great Greg Amzinger, MLB Network. So he's a believer, clearly. Greg's always been a believer, though. Yeah, he has. He was the one that, that told us that Nar- Nolan Arenado said that at the All-Star game, and we didn't believe it, but Greg believed it. He said, Nolan's never lied to me. Why wouldn't I believe it? Eight and a half back on August 10th. Sounds um, familiar. Yep, it really does. Sounds familiar. Yep. Coming up next, get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We have Take It or Leave It on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Oh, 
We do welcome your texts to the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Michelle and Randy with you, and it's time for Take It or Leave It. Michelle, yesterday, Urban Meyer said when asked about taking the USC job, no chance. James Franklin, head coach at Penn State, when asked about the USC job, said, I found and tracked this over time that really no matter what you say, people aren't happy with it. So I've decided I'm going to handle this internally and just talk to our team. No denial whatsoever. Take it or leave it. Franklin wants the USC job. Oh, I'll take that. There's your opportunity to say no. Um, no I'm happy at Penn State. I'm staying here. here. There's no way I'm leaving. That is saying I'm interested without saying I'm interested. That's all you have to do. That's the smart way to do it. I'm, I'm actually pleased that a coach did that. Why deny it when you do have interest and just say, no, I'm, I'm just going to keep it a secret between me and my team. Yeah. And my agent and the people at USC. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's who's in the inner circle here. Yeah. Do you think he's the guy? I think he could be, but I, I think you're right. I think Luke Fickle is the logical choice here. Yeah, I would imagine that if, you know how they say every AD has that sheet of paper in the top drawer with mm-hmm. a list of names, I would imagine that the, the top name on that sheet is Luke Fickle. Yeah. And by the way, if Franklin goes to USC, then I believe Luke Fickle will be the favorite of Penn State. Mm. Doesn't that make sense? Look at that. Just musical chairs. Yep. Love it. Randy, this has been on my list of things to talk about throughout this week, but so much has been happening with the Cardinals. We had college football to react to, NFL action over the weekend, that it got bumped down. So I want to talk about it here. Did you see the Florida State player who proposed to his girlfriend on the field after they lost to Jacksonville yeah, State? Yeah, I did. When Jacksonville State was still celebrating on the field. Take it or leave it. That's the worst sports proposal you've ever seen. Totally take that. You've got to have the ability and the intelligence to adjust and adapt. Clearly, that player thought that they were going to roll Jacksonville State and wasn't able to call an audible. You have to be able to call an audible. I also think it's a bad omen for your marriage. It is. After a loss. To Jacksonville State? Yeah. And a dramatic heart-wrenching loss, too. There's no way that player should have been thinking about that after they lost the way they did on a 59-yard touchdown pass as time expired. Yeah, your teammates are probably already in the locker room. They're furious. Yeah, they're embarrassed. And you're out there on one knee proposing, getting a shot for the gram? No, I don't know. And congrats to the happy couple. Yeah, you got to change things up, though, buddy. That's just not. And if I'm the girl... I'm thinking, now? Really? Is this guy going to be able to adjust when something bad happens for us? Of all times, you chose after a loss to Jacksonville State. Yeah, not great at all. No. Uh, A couple of texts. Emily, what do you have? From the 314, take it or leave it, Jack and Dakota Hudson come back for the playoffs. I am going to partially take that. I believe Dakota Hudson does. I'm not sure about Flaherty, though. See, I'm opposite. I think Flaherty does. I'm not so sure about Hudson. I cannot have Andrew Miller in my bullpen in the postseason, the way things stand right now. Or Ponce de Leon. From the 314, take it or leave it, Wayno in the wild card, Leicester game one. Take it. I'm taking that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the way it's going to work. And as of right now, don't you feel good about I feel that? pretty good about that, <laughs> yeah. I love feeling drunk on Cardinals optimism. <laughs> this is great. I miss this feeling. A text from the 573 back to what Michelle's take it or leave it was. I was wondering where he hid the microwave. <laughs> See, that way you have the ability to adjust and adapt because you can have a buddy bring the microwave with him to the field so that you can present the microwave mm. in the 
proposal. But you could also. I don't think they'd let that in the stadium, Randy. Just, it's not clear. Yeah, maybe a teammate. So, but you just you got to put a hand up and say, "No, no sorry, buddy, no, not, not the time." <laughs> yeah, you need someone, and I and I know his family was there. Gatekeeper. You, you, that's when your dad or somebody steps in and says, "Son, no." Yeah, exactly. Not today. Mm-hmm. Not today. Love you, buddy. <laughs> You're also in college, and you have all the time in the yeah, world right. to execute this. Not today. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll get to one more real fast. From the 314, take it or leave it. Goldie, Arenado, and O'Neill will finish 2021 with 100 or more combined home runs, currently at 84 between them. I'm going to leave that. What do we have, 16 games left, something like that, 16 or 17? I'm going to leave that. That's a home run a game uh, among those three. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that. Well, uh, based on the past three games? Yeah, but it's just hard to do. I agree. But we're feeling optimistic today. You had a gold Donato back-to-back. I know. First time in an inning all year. First time in an inning all year. Tyler O'Neill certainly yep. turned it on. Yeah. Amazing. Who knows, Randy? Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thank you very much for your texts. The Cardinals are going to Cardinals are going to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the 2011 World Champions this weekend. Dan Schulman of ESPN obviously covered that team a lot on Sunday Night Baseball and then down the stretch and in the playoffs and World Series. And Dan's going to share his memories of the 2011 Cardinals next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Belize has the sign he wants. Breeze waiting. The 1-2 and a fastball hit to right field. Going back is Cruz. And it is off the wall. It bounces back toward the infield. Pujols scores. Bergman scores. Breeze in the third. It's tied. The pitch and a swing and a little blooper. Drops into center for a base hit. Jay will come in to score. Pujols around single by Berkman. They have tied it again. Breeze leading it off. Crowd in a frenzy. 3-2. A swing and a high fly ball. Center field. It is gone! David Breeze, who tied it in the ninth, wins it in the 11th. And one of the most remarkable improbable baseball games you will ever see and there's going to be baseball here in St. Louis game seven tomorrow night here in St. Louis we still get goosebumps when we hear Dan Schulman's calls of game six of the 2011 World Series the Cardinals were ten and a half back Michelle on August 29th that year this year it was August 10th that they were eight and a half back and now they lead in the wild card race and Dan got a chance to see a lot of the action in that wild finish for the Cardinals and he's with us now on the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line uh, Dan Schulman Michelle Smallman Randy Carricker great to have you with us great to talk to you as always how are you doing this morning I'm doing very well. That brings back some very fond memories for this broadcaster guy. That was fun. I'm glad it does for you, and it does for us. And we wanted to have you on because the Cardinals are going to have the 10-year reunion of that squad this weekend. And I remember... Uh, I said, Dan, on my birthday, August 19th, I said the Cardinals have zero chance of (laughs) making the playoffs. They are out of this. And... uh, it was logical, right? They were ten and a half games out of first. That was just an amazing run that we really haven't seen. Uh, it's amazing how things like that happen. And, you know, I saw it 
in 2015 in Toronto. The Blue Jays were kind of going nowhere, made trades at the trade deadline. Tulowitzki, David Price went on an incredible run uh, and made the postseason. And it's one of the beautiful things about baseball. The season is so long that the way things look in May and the way things look in July and August is, can be a lot different than the way they look in late September and in the Cardinals' case in 2011, late October. But, um, you know, that, that team had a great core. I mean, there was Pools and, and Molina and Holiday and Berkman and Freeze, obviously, and Chris Carpenter. I mean, there, there were some great, great players uh, on that team, yet, you know, if Nelson Cruz makes the catch, I'm I maybe I'm on a Dallas radio station right now. So, you know, it, that's that's the margin of difference between winning and losing in the World Series sometimes. Dan, one thing that always sticks out to me whenever I go back and watch that game was just how bad of a game it was before things started to get going. There was a ton of errors and it seemed like it was going to be over and done fairly quickly. So what was that like for you as it unfolded from going to a game that was kind of stagnant and a little sloppy to what we know now is one of the greatest postseason games we've ever seen? Right. So when I think of that game, I think exclusively to be you know perfectly honest honest with you of the ninth tenth and eleventh innings so uh you guys as, as people who are much closer to it than i am and being in st louis and following the cardinals and uh, on an everyday basis i think you remember a lot more about the first eight innings than i do <laughs> um i know it was high scoring i know it was sloppy uh, i know they traded leads back and forth but i think texas was kind of in front for the most part and then you know, St. Louis got into it late and obviously tied it in the ninth and tied it in the 10th and then won it in the 11th. So, but when I think about the game, I think about Freeze's triple, Hamilton's homer, Berkman's base hit, Freeze's homer. Those are the four moments that, uh, that jump out. I mean, you just played three of them, obviously, the three St. Louis ones. You know, people forget. People forget outside St. Louis, people forget Berkman's base hit. And, mm-hmm. and again, you know, if, Free, if Berkman doesn't single in the 10th, Freeze can't win it in the 11th, obviously. And and people totally forget. I think a lot of people totally forget that Hamilton hit. I think it was, it was a two-run homer right in the top of the tenth inning. Right. Um, and and so again, you're you know, if you're a Cardinals fan in the moment, you're probably saying, "Oh God, now that, that, there's no way they can come back again." So um, I don't remember a lot of detail early, other than there were a lot of runs and it wasn't pretty. Uh, but everybody just remembers how it finishes. And and to be honest with you, it's probably whether it's TV or baseball, college basketball, uh, uh, TV, sorry, TV or radio, college basketball or baseball, that game is probably my favorite experience as a broadcaster. And, and I've been lucky to do a lot of stuff. That was my first World Series for ESPN Radio. And I remember the next year thanking David Freeze <laughs> and, and saying, I know this was pretty big for you, but it was kind of fun for me too. So thanks a lot. <laughs> That's incredible. Dan, it's funny because game six was so wild, so improbable, so exciting, so dramatic. That game seven is almost a throwaway. The, the game the Cardinals actually won the World Series is almost a throwaway here in St. Louis. So take me back to that night after you left the ballpark after game six. Did you feel like the Cardinals winning game seven was inevitable? Uh, I don't know if I would go as far as inevitable, but, um, you know, you knew they had Chris Carpenter on the mound, if my memory is correct. Mm -hmm. And um, you knew they were at home and you knew they had momentum. So, yeah, I was definitely leaning in that direction. And, And one of the strange things about baseball is more often than not, it seems like game six has been the game that we all remember for whether it's 1975, whether it's 1986, 
um, Kirby Puckett, right? Was that 1991? Uh, that was game six, mm-hmm. I think. You know, J- J- um, Jack Buck, and we'll see you tomorrow night, whether it's 2011. And often game seven can be, not always is, but can be anticlimactic. So uh, I remember being exhausted. Um, we were staying at the Westin right across the street from the ballpark. You guys know it well, and which is one of the many, many reasons that all of us loved doing games in St. Louis. If, if our bosses would put us at the Westin, we could walk out of the broadcast booth and be back in the hotel 45 seconds later, which was awesome. So we were, I remember walking across the street and being drained, like just exhausted from uh, calling game six. And then I remember my boss, John Martin, calling me and saying, do, don't do any talking over the next 18 hours. Don't do any radio interviews. We need your voice tomorrow night. <laughs> so that's, that's the thing I remember. Is he basically uh, said, don't leave your room. Don't do anything. Um, but I, I remember thinking, yeah, I, I'd be surprised if Texas could win it. But, it. but And I didn't look this up. I think Texas scored first in Game 7, but then it was Cardinals the rest of the way, if I'm not mistaken. That's and it was pretty one-sided. That's so, right. Dan Schulman yes. of ESPN with us on 101 ESPN. Dan, did you have something to add there? No, no, go oh, ahead. Go okay. ahead. Uh, we use the word epic a lot in sports. And when you look at that playoff run, one of the memorable games that St. Louis fans have is game five against Philadelphia in the NLDS. It was Halliday against Roy Halliday against uh, Chris Carpenter and the Cardinals score on the second hitter of the game for Kyle triples to start things off and then skip Schumacher doubles him home. And then it was Carpenter and Halliday and it was unbelievable. Carp went all the way in a one nothing victory. And he had actually gotten on the bus after the Cardinals have won game four. And told Gerald Laird and Nick Punto, he said, guys, you give me a run, we're good. And lo and behold, they get him the run in the first inning. And the game was so draining for those two. They put so much into it, and they were older pitchers. But neither Carpenter or Halliday were ever the same after that game five in the NLDS. So what I remember, I was not on that series. I don't remember which division series I was doing. Uh, But I remember listening to some of it and watching some of it. Um, and the other thing that struck me, I guess I have a bit of a different perspective on that game as being a Toronto person, as you know, Randy. Mm-hmm. So I knew Chris Carpenter and Roy Halladay, like when they were kids, when they came up to the major leagues with the Blue Jays, got to know both of them very well. Um, Roy Halladay was a very private, intro, you know, introverted person. Chris Carpenter, I, I got to know much better than I did Roy. But I remember watching that game, and I'm sure every Torontonian or Blue Jay fan or Canadian even watch that game with a sense of man those two guys started with our team and now look at where they are and and to see them go out and both pitch so well um and and as you said they were older by that time they both broke in in the late 90s so they were older pitchers but there was a kind of a different perspective on that game if you were uh from where i'm from so um i always thought I loved Chris Carpenter. I mean, I love both of them, but I loved Chris Carpenter. I always enjoyed the time that I spent with him and always thought he had that big game mentality and that toughness and that, that, that exactly what you said, get me a run boys and I'll take it from here. And, and um, it was a sensational game. And again, it shows you how narrow the margin can be between winning and losing that they got taken, you know, to the, to the limit by Philadelphia in the division series. Uh, and, and had to win as tight a game as, as you can. Hey, Dan, before we let you go, how do you feel about this year's Blue Jays leading that American League wild card right now? And they've been red hot, and they've been hitting the daylights out of the ball. 
They have been. They're a fascinating team. Um, I said on the air last night, I bet you if you had a poll and said, hey, everybody, like all around baseball, who's your second favorite team? I bet you the Blue Jays win in a landslide. Like everybody's got their favorite team. But I think a lot of people look at the Blue Jays and go, wow, those guys are fun. Vladimir Guerrero, Bo Bichette, et cetera, et cetera. And they can hit. Um, you know, the funny thing, Randy, is they should be, if not in first, like right on the race heels. They had such an awful stretch in the middle of the summer where the bullpen blew a ton of games. And they've kind of fixed it late in the year. But they're in a it, – it's really fascinating. They're in a three-team battle for two playoff spots. And they're battling with the Yankees and the Red Sox, three division rivals. Um, and only two of them are going to make the playoffs. So um, it, it's going to be hard. Um, you know, there's some Baltimore left on the schedule for everybody. <laughs> so those are almost guaranteed wins. The Blue Jays have three with the Yankees, but they're done with the Red Sox. I feel pretty good about their chances. I think they're playing better than the other two teams. But, it, you know, in 16, 17 games, anything can happen. I, I hope they make it. They're really fun. And I think people around the U.S. would love seeing them in the playoffs because they are really enjoyable to watch. They really are. Dan Schulman, it's always great to hear your voice. And we always appreciate you taking the time to join us. And it'll be great to hear you on 101 ESPN in October again. And hopefully, cross our fingers, we get to see you here at Bush Stadium. <laughs> That would be great. I have not been to St. Louis in a couple of years. Uh, I would love to get back. All right. for the time. Daniel, have a great day. See you later. That is uh, Dan Schulman, ESPN. One of, uh, well, he, he's the best radio play-by-play man in the world. He's tremendous. He's unbelievable. And those calls, I don't know if you got goosebumps, but I sure did when, uh, when I heard those calls again. Oh, me too. And I love how he described walking across the street and just being so drained because that game took it out of everybody. But imagine calling it. Imagine mm-hmm. having to project and match the energy of the stadium and the excitement of the game. And I love how he said his boss said, don't talk to anyone for like 18 <laughs> hours because we need your voice. Because that really does take a toll on your on your voice having to call games like that. But it is so fun to relive that. It's going to be really special to have all of those guys from the, the 2011 team in-house in Bush Stadium this weekend. And the Cardinals trying to do it again this year. Last night, an 11-4 win over the Mets to expand their lead over the Reds in the division. We'll tell you what happened last night next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. In St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Always good to hear from Dan Schulman and Greg Amzinger. And you'll be able to hear those on our podcast after the show at 101ESPN.com or on the 101 ESPN app. Both Greg and Dan, fabulous guests as always. Cardinals win 11-4 last night over the New York Mets and sweep the series. And the Cardinals not only, Michelle, got home runs from Harrison Bader and... uh, or Goldschmidt, Arenado, and Sosa went six for twelve with runners in scoring position, but the defense was really strong. A runner had already scored a home run for the Mets in the bottom of the second, and Brian McCann was at the plate. What do you have to lose? McCann with a fly ball into shallow left. Oh, what a play by Sosa with his back to the infield. Oh. Mundo Sosa, great play. 
Edmundo Sosa, Randy, has been a revelation. He's been contributing to the Cardinals with all facets of his game. That was an unbelievable play last night. We've seen several of those from him. And our friends at Bally Sports Midwest had a great graphic on Edmundo Sosa. So this season, among National League shortstops and games started with a minimum of 60 games, Edmundo Sosa ranks first in average, 311 batting average, first in on-base percentage, 381, fifth in slug, 457, and second in defensive run saved with seven. Are you all in on Edmundo Sosa? Because I am right now. I am. That's one of the reasons that if we had to make the choice, we had the discussion last week. If you had to choose between the starting pitcher or the shortstop, would you take the starting pitcher? And that's why I say I would take Max Scherzer because I think there is a guy in place for the Cardinals. Now, I will tell you this. I can't scout shortstops. I thought Oledmus Diaz would be fine. I thought Paul DeYoung would be fine. And now I'm sitting here saying I think Edmundo Sosa will be fine. So if I could get both Scherzer and Seager, I would do it. But if I have to make the choice, I think there's a greater need for the Cardinals for that number one, number one starting pitcher that you you know is going to be there all the time. For sure. Um, But on the heels of that play, that's another thing. Yes, the the bats came alive. Yes, the pitching was very impressive during the series. But how about the defense? We talked a lot yesterday about that Goldschmidt, Yadier Molina, Nolan Arnato play. We had the Lars Newbar play last night. Harrison Bader with a with a really important catch. You had the, the Sosa play. The Cardinals defense has been rock solid this this series. It's this season. They're the this best season. in baseball. The, the defense has bounced back, and you would expect with Arenado and with the proficiency of Edmundo Sosa and with Edmund being a really solid second baseman and Goldie, and then you got a Gold Glover in left, a guy who should win a gold glover glove in center and then passable defense in right and your catcher is the best ever your defense statistically should be really good right absolutely and last night it was a guy that doesn't ordinarily start bottom of the seventh two runners aboard one run in the score is eight to four so a home run by pete alonzo makes it an eight seven game lars newtbar had been put in because of a double switch and this is how it sounded to mets fans Field deep, back goes Newt Bar at the wall, and he made the catch oh! right at the top of the fence. Lars Newt Bar took a three-run homer away from Pete Alonzo. Oh my! Newt Bar just into the game and a double switch, and he reached high above the fence to take a home run away from Alonzo. Oh my! The double switch of the year, I'll say. It wasn't Rondone out there like last night. Newt Bar over the orange line and pulled it back. They might name a candy bar after him in St. Louis. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's already in the works, the, the bar. Um, <laughs> the double switch of the year, but the best part of that car is the, oh, oh. no, oh, <laughs> no. And it's so nice to be on the positive side of a play like that because the Cardinals have had several games this season where late in late innings, even in the ninth inning, where they've blown a lead or we've been on the side of that. We've been on the, oh, no, yeah. you got to be kidding me side of it. And it's it's great to wake up on September 16th, Randy, and feel good and and be on the other side of that. Be on the positive side of that. One other thing that was cool is at City Field, all of the nude chants. Yes, very cool. But 
yeah, the Cardinals now are in the driver's seat for this wild card. Now, are they going to win it? We don't know. It has been a crazy season. But at the moment, the Cardinals have a one-game lead over the Padres, who come to town for a three-game series that starts tomorrow. Cardinals with the day off. The Reds have fallen apart. The Reds have gone 4-12 and 12 in their last 16, and now they are a game and a half behind the Cardinals and two back on the all-important loss side. Philadelphia... I say Cincinnati's falling apart. Philadelphia is demolished. They're 73 and 72 now, and they're three games back. And the Mets pretty much done after this sweep by the Cardinals. They're five behind the Redbirds. Yeah, they put the proverbial nail in the coffin, seemingly, in, in the Mets after this series. But that's one thing about this race is not only are the Cardinals surging at the right time, and you're seeing all facets of this team click, but every other team that the Cardinals were chasing are now in the rearview mirror, and they don't seem to have what it takes to catch up to them or to supersede them all of these teams are falling apart at just the right time here's an amazing number for you in uh, on the right side of the column the last 10 games giants are nine and one dodgers are eight and two brewers are seven and three cardinals are seven and three every other team in the national league except for the giants dodgers brewers and cardinals is at best 500 in their last 10 and the only teams that are five at least 500 in their, in their last 10 are atlanta the rockies and the cubs uh, let's throw the marlins in there too everybody else is under 500 that's quite the disparity yeah so, and especially when you have the best teams giants nine and one Dodgers 8 and 2, Brewers 7 and 3 and then the Cardinals 7 and 3 as well. We know what a team is usually by this point in the season. I still can't believe the Giants. I have been waiting for that team to come back down to earth all season. It's remarkable to me what they've been able to do. Farhan Zaidi is their president of baseball operations and he's the guy that collected the Kike Hernandezes and the Justin Turners uh, for the Dodgers. Max Muncy, he he found him. The Giants that being in the same division and they said well we'll hire him as our general manager to replace Bobby Evans and they've done the exact same thing you look at the the numbers from the Giants the people that are turning in numbers let me Michelle just give you an idea and they're an OPS team they're just like the Dodgers they're built the same way Uh, Brandon Belt leads them in OPS he's been injury plagued throughout his career Darren Ruff with a 934 OPS and 237 at bats uh You've got Lamont Wade Jr. with an 845 OPS and 289 at-bats. You've got Thyro Estrada coming up. He's got an 821 OPS. You've got Steven Duggar with an 804 OPS. Mike Yastrzemski, Wilmer Flores. You've got all these guys that are performing at a high level who you'd never dream could play at a high level. And oh, by the way, most of us that observe baseball thought that Gabe Kapler was a moron when he managed the Phillies and now he goes there and he's got the team with the most wins in baseball with a collection of guys you didn't expect to be performing Did this not way expect them to perform that way and we should point out that they can pitch too and that ballpark lends to good pitching but their starting rotation and this is what you'll have to face if you're the Cardinals and you do beat the Dodgers Kevin Gossman has a 2.65 ERA hasn't been as good since the break Anthony DiSclefani has taken the ball every time Alex Wood has had a good year their guy this year is named Logan Webb he's got a 2.80 ERA he's 10 and 3 and Johnny Cueto has come back from his Tommy John surgery and had a good year for them as well they've got a really good bullpen They've just got a really good collection of really good players that aren't superstars. The only superstar they have is Posey. 
it's got to be so frustrating for members of the Padres organization because you knew what you had in the Dodgers. You knew that they were going to be the uh, beast that you had to slay. But you go out, you sign Fernando Tatis Jr., you Darvish, Blake Snell, you're making all of these moves, and you think that you're going to be right there with them. And then the Giants, who probably on paper you didn't think were going to be that big of a threat, end up being the best team in the division as you're falling apart. And I know injuries have a lot to do with that. But still, imagine being the Padres and really going for it and then it's the Giants that you have to worry about in addition to the Dodgers. And the Padres are spending $175 million on their team this year. The Giants are spending $15 million less, about $160 million on theirs. So it's not all about payroll. It's about being a smart front office, and that's clearly what the Giants have. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, stick around for the fight. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Character. It's time for the fight on Carragher and Smallman on this Thursday here on 101 ESPN. It's 8.36. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Ryan is going to take on Randy in the fight this morning. What's up, Ryan? How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? We're doing good. Thanks so much. Are you ready to take on Randy in the fight today? Uh, as ready as I'm going to be. Okay, great. Well, good luck to you, Ryan, and let's jump right in. Happy 28th birthday to PGA golfer Bryson DeChambeau. DeChambeau has eight PGA Tour wins, but only one major championship win. Which tournament was it? Was it the PGA Championship, the Masters, or the U.S. Open? I think he won the PGA. Happy 38th yep. birthday to former Cardinal Brandon Moss. The MLB journeyman played for seven teams over the span of his 10-year career, debuting for which team on August 6, 2007? Was it the Boston Red Sox, the Kansas City Royals, or the Cleveland Indians? Uh, Kansas City Royals. All right, Ryan, on this day in 1997, Mark McGuire signed a three-year contract extension to stay with the St. Louis Cardinals after playing nine years with the Oakland Athletics. Who is the Athletics' all-time leader in home runs? Is it Mark McGuire, is it Jose Canseco, or is it Jimmy Fox? Uh, Jimmy Fox. And on this day in 1963, Stan Musial hit home run number 475 off of Johnny Padres, the final in his career. Which team was it against? Was it the Milwaukee Braves, the Brooklyn Dodgers, or the San Diego Padres? Uh, Brooklyn Dodgers. Okay, score check. Waving in Mr. Carricker. Ryan, how are you feeling? You confident in your performance? Too many birthdays today. Well, you wouldn't have liked yesterday's fight. It was all birthdays because it was Emily's birthday. There's at least one birthday question a day. Got to do birthdays. <laughs> birthdays are great. Why not? It's it's easy. It's it's easy for me to come up with that. Stuff. It's kind of a cheat code, right? If you're cheating, competing against Rand in the fight, just Google sports birthdays. Good you call. don't know what the question will be, but maybe you'll yeah. get some sort of a an advantage. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. All right, Randy, say what's up to Ryan. Hey, Ryan, welcome. Good to have you with us on 101 ESPN. How are you doing this morning? 
I'm doing good, Randall. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. All right, Randy, you ready? Ready. Happy 28th birthday to PGA golfer Bryson DeChambeau. DeChambeau. He has eight PGA Tour wins, but only one major championship win. Which tournament was it? I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that he won the PGA Championship. Happy 38th birthday to former Cardinal Brandon Moss. The MLB journeyman played for seven teams over the span of his 10-year career, debuting for which team on August 6th, 2007? 2007, August 6th. It seems like, let's see, he played, we got him from Cleveland. It seems like he spent most of his time with the athletics. But I don't know if that, uh, that's where he started. Let's see. Let me just run around baseball here. Um, I think I'll go with the A's. On this day in 1997, Mark McGuire signed a three-year contract extension to stay with the St. Louis Cardinals after playing nine years with the Oakland Athletics. He cried at the press conference. I asked the question. What was the question? Uh, What made you want to give a million dollars a year for the foundation for kids? And he just had a soft spot in his heart for abused kids. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, the question is, shout out to Mark McGuire. Who made him cry? Who made him cry in his press conference? How did you know? <laughs> yeah. Emily had that one locked up. All right. Who is the Athletics' all-time leader in home runs? The Athletics' all-time leader in homers. Okay. So you've got Big Mac. You've got probably, I don't think Reggie was, no, it wouldn't be Reggie. Um, so we're going to have to go back in the day here. Um, I'll do the lifeline just in case. Was it Mark McGuire? No. Was it Jose Canseco? Or was it Jimmy Fox? I think Jimmy Fox is over 500, right? I think I might go. It's definitely not Canseco. It's definitely not Big Mac because he d- didn't get to 300 there. So Jimmy Fox. And on this day in 1963, Stan Musial hit home run number 475 off of Johnny Padres, the final in his career. Which team was it against? I'm guessing... Johnny Padres. Um, thought he was a Dodger. They had Koufax, Drysdale. Maybe it wasn't Johnny Padres. It wasn't the Giants. And you only had eight teams in the league. So you had, wasn't the Cards, it wasn't the Cubs. Well, I don't think it was the Reds, Pirates. So then we're talking Dodgers, Giants, Braves. Um, yeah, I'll go with uh, the Doyers. We are headed to the tiebreaker, folks. Hmm. Randy and Ryan both only got one correct. Hmm. We're going to tell you about that in a second. But we're heading to the tiebreaker. Ryan, here's how this is going to work. I'm going to read the tiebreaker question. Randy's going to write down his answer on a sheet of paper there. We're going to give you first crack at it. You're going to get about 10 seconds to answer. After you reveal your answer, Randy will tell us what he wrote down on a sheet of paper. First to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. Are you ready, Ryan? I'm ready. Are you ready, Randy? I'm ready. Well, gentlemen, here is your tiebreaker question. How many stolen bases did the 2011 Cardinals have? How many stolen bases did the 2011 Cardinals have? This is regular season, by the way. Yeah. Regular season. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go with 
84. And I'm going with 75. Ryan says 84. Randy Carricker says 75. Emily, who won? The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. It was right there for the taking, Ryan. I'm so sorry. Randy was closest to the pin, though. Before we reveal the tiebreaker answer, let's roll it back. So Bryson DeChambeau, the only major championship that he has won is the U.S. Open last year in 2020. Uh, Brandon Moss debuted for the Boston Red Sox on August 6, oh, yeah. 2007. Yeah. August 6th. The Athletics' all-time leader in home runs is, in fact, one Mark McGuire, 363. Wow. 363 with the A's. And then on this day in 1963, Stan Musial hit home run number 475 against the Brooklyn Dodgers. Both Ryan and Randy got that one correct. The tiebreaker question was, and I love the anecdote here at the end, how many stolen bases did the 2011 Cardinals have? Ryan guessed 84. Randy guessed 75. The correct answer is 57. Wow. 57. Do you know who led that team in stolen bases? If you had to guess. Raphael for Kyle. Ryan Terrio. <laughs> wrong and wrong. It was Tyler Green who led the team with 11 stolen bases. He was <laughs> never caught stealing that season. Tyler Green. And he was never seen in the postseason. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for playing. Have a great Thursday. All right, thank you. Thanks, Ryan. Good to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Tyler Green never caught stealing. It's pretty amazing. Who knew? Hey, it is 644. In uh, Napa and in the uh, in the wine country, my friend Chris Muir from Golf Discount is playing this week, Pebble Beach, and he's playing Spyglass as well and listening on the app wow. as he goes out to the golf course today so at 6.44 in the morning. So. I thought you were going to say Napa collectively was celebrating a Cardinals win and pouring a full-bodied cab. Well, I know. Part of them are. Some of them are (laughs) on the Monterey Peninsula. So uh, hello to uh, all of you that are listening out at uh, either Spyglass or Pebble this morning. We also got a text, Emily. Someone was streaming from where? Cozumel? Yes. Cozumel. See? We're international, baby. Yeah, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. And the Cardinals are rocking and rolling. And the Blues are set to get rolling as well next week. Our Blues insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford, coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Jeremy Rutherford, four years at The Athletic. Yesterday was the anniversary. He's with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And congratulations, JR, on your great work over the years at The Athletic and on the success of the site. It's a must for every sports fan. And Michelle and Emily and I are all subscribers, and we love your work. Thank you so much, guys. And thank you so much. Uh, take this chance to say thank you for pumping up the stories and, and talking about uh, the things that we're writing about. And hopefully, you know, the coverage over the years has been uh, on point and and uh, about how things are looking with the Blues and looking ahead to things with the Blues. And I just enjoy coming on and talking to you about uh, everything that, that we write about at The Athletic. Well, JR, we love reading your work. It's always outstanding. And I bet during that four-year span, you didn't anticipate writing about Pat Maroon winning the Stanley Cup. <laughs> 
three separate times, but he brought home the cup again this uh, actually this week when he was at Oakville. But it's kind of remarkable that in that window, you've had to write about Pat Maroon winning the cup three times. You know, it's funny. Somebody asked me yesterday, are you going to head over to Oakville and partake in any of those uh, Stanley Cup ceremonies with Patrick Maroon? And I said, no, I think I'm just going to go next year. (laughs) That's the the way it seems. But uh, honestly, it has gotten to the point where you're like, okay, I don't know what else I can write about the situation. So uh, I did not go yesterday. I did see some pictures. Good for him. It was awesome to see him take the uh, Stanley Cup to Oakville and speak to those kids. I got to tell you, the one thing in, in listening to Pat Maroon the past couple of years, he is so great at telling people they can be the best person they can be and, and just go out and uh, go after your dreams. And when people see a guy like him who, you know, beat a lot of challenges to get where he is, and, and then hold the Stanley Cup three times. I mean, how could you not listen to the guy? So I think he's done a tremendous job with his platform. JR, Doug Armstrong, the Blues Poho, president of hockey operations, has told us endlessly over the last decade that the salary cap in the NHL is a puzzle. To me, this year, he has like a 2,000-piece jigsaw puzzle that, that's all the same color in trying to put this thing together before the season starts. My wife does puzzles, and she has them on the dining room table all the time, and they're there for weeks. And I just say, I don't know how you do that. I can never attack that thing. And I think what Doug Armstrong is trying to do is more difficult than what I see on a weekly <laughs> basis at, at our house. I, I really do. And then when you when you somehow bring a player, Tyler Bozak, uh, signed this week, $750,000 plus bonuses, when you can bring in a Tyler Bozak at 750000 you know, that that's just tremendous. And it's another piece of the puzzle that he's squeezing in there somehow – And we don't know how he's going to do it yet because they still have to get under the salary cap in terms of when they get Robert Thomas signed. Will they have to put Oscar Sundquist on long-term injured reserve because he won't be ready to start the season? So many different moving pieces. And, of course, uh, the big piece, Vladimir Tarasenko. And if for whatever reason that move can't be made, a move when Oscar Sundquist comes back is going to have to be made. I would be shocked if the Blues could find a taker for Marco Scandella's $3.275 million cap hit over the next three years. Do you think there would be a market for him after last year? I, I don't think so. I think there could be perhaps maybe after this year if he's still playing okay and there's less term left on the deal. You know, I know that when that deal was signed, a lot of people were thinking to themselves, you know, that's a lot of term for a guy who hasn't necessarily, you know, been a top four regular, uh, a guy who definitely fits there. And uh, I think that his play with the Blues has been pretty good at times, and I think average at times. And and so I think this is a big year for him, especially because the Blues are really going to have to count on him. There's so much inexperience with your five, six, seven, eight defensemen that Scandella is going to have to be good. At this point, unless you got a D coming back, um, in return, you got something up your sleeve in terms of fortifying that defense. I don't know how you could move them, but I think if the Blues find out what they have with these younger guys and maybe can go out into the market and, and find a definite top four guy, uh, then I do think maybe Scandella could be expendable after this season. JR, you mentioned the Robert Thomas piece of the puzzle. How does Doug Armstrong make that fit? Walk us through that. Yeah, so with uh, the Tyler Bozak signing $750,000, that leaves the Blues with about $1.5 million in cap space. And as I wrote last week, that's just not going to get it done with Robert Thomas. I realize that he doesn't have a lot of leverage. I realize that uh, he's going to have to sign at some point. But in talking to people around the league, uh, his camp was uh, looking for Jordan Cairo type money. And, and uh, it sounds weird to say that. Just a couple years ago, we were talking about a Stanley Cup champion, Robert Thomas, and a young 
up-and-coming guy in Cairo who hadn't proven himself yet. But Cairo goes out and puts up the 35 points. He gets a $2.8 million AAV for the next couple of years. And I believe that uh, Thomas sees that as kind of the bar. Is he going to get that? Probably not because of the injuries and, and the fact that he, he, uh, he didn't produce last year. Uh, but I think he's probably going to get somewhere between 2 and 2.5. And Doug Armstrong, as we spoke about earlier, is going to have to find a way uh, to fit that in. JR, when moves like the contract for Bozak are made or the other RFAs that the Blues signed to get up to where they are salary-wise now. I'm wondering if there is a number that the Blues have right now. If they could trade Vladimir Tarasenko and a a team said, okay, we'll give you X amount of dollars, and the Blues are saying, no, we're not going to do that now. I wonder if there is a deal for them to make, because it's hard for me to imagine that you'd make all these signings without a knowledge of what you can do to alleviate your salary cap problem. I agree with you. I agree with you. And we have to keep in mind, like we said a moment ago, that Oscar Sundquist can probably go on the injured reserve and give them some wiggle room. But I agree with you, Randy. Sometimes I think when we debate these, you know, Doug Armstrong could probably be listening you know, and saying to himself, well, you know, I've got this other deal on the side that I know I could make at a moment's notice and get under the cap, and we don't know what those deals are. And, and so what is it for Vladimir Tarasenko? Is it a team out there has – has said if the Blues retain 50% and, and Doug wants to retain a, a lot less, he knows he could make that type of move if he if he needs to. Perhaps there is a deal like that. I don't have any knowledge of that, but you have to believe that with how good Doug's been with these things over the years, that he does know the options that he has and the ones that could be made with, made, made with just one phone call. Jerry, I know you wrote about this at The Athletic, but what sort of an X factor could Scott Perunovich be for the Blues this season? Yeah, I think uh, I think he could be, and and that is going out on a limb a little bit because here's a guy who hasn't played in 18 months uh, because of, of the pandemic shut down the college season. They weren't able to go for their third straight uh, national championship at Minnesota Duluth. Then he comes into Blues Camp Michelle, and he has the uh, shoulder injury that requires surgery, knocks him out even longer. Uh, but he's in camp this week. In fact, he'll be on the ice in about an hour here at Centene. He's part of this group that's going to Traverse City for the NHL Prospects Tournament, and he's going to be the captain of the team. That's how much they think about this guy. And so um, he's going to go play in Traverse City for a few days with that team, and then he's going to come to main camp and have a chance to uh, impress uh, the Blues and try to stick with the team. The thing here is uh, he's just such a dynamic player. That's what he showed in college. He makes others around him better. He can be a quarterback of, of a power play. I do think it's going to take time to knock the rust off. I think you know getting some game action is going to be good for him. Maybe he even goes to the American Hockey League and, and gets some games under his belt. But I think that this is a guy, if he can get back to being the type of player he was when he was on the ice at Minnesota Duluth, he can be a guy that could be a surprise. JR, one problem the Blues could run into is that David Perron's nickname is Perry. Colton Pareko's <laughs> nickname is Perry. I have to believe Perunovic's nickname is Perry. So somebody's going to have to change a nickname here. Oh, gosh, man, you're, you're, you're really making it difficult for me because uh, over the years, as soon as a player would say a nickname, you know, you're around every day, uh, you knew who they were talking about. Even with the two Perrys, I can't keep up. Like if somebody says, Perry did this the other the other day, I have to say, are you talking about Colton Perico? Are you talking about David Braun? I don't know. Let's just send... Perinovich to the American League just for that reason. (laughs) (laughs) Just to avoid our confusion, exactly. (laughs) JR, always great stuff. Thanks so much for the time. And again, congratulations on four years at The Athletic. And we advise everybody to subscribe. Couldn't do it without you guys. Thanks a lot. All right, Jeremy. JR, Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues Insider from The Athletic on 101 ESPN. Coming up. 
if the Cardinals do well, when the Cardinals play the wild card game Thank against you, the Dodgers, you're welcome. Thank you. Is Adam Wainwright having the ball at Dodger Stadium enough to make you believe? It's enough to make us believe, we think. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> The Cardinals have taken over the second spot in the National League wildcard race. The Dodgers hold and will hold the top spot unless they pass the Dodgers in the National League West standings. And then the Cardinals would play San Francisco. But as we speak, it would be the Cardinals and the Dodgers for the wildcard game, probably the Tuesday after the season ends, which would be October 5th. And we asked Adam Wainwright on Wednesday about... That would have been yesterday uh, about the dream of facing the Dodgers in the National League Wild Card game at Dodger Stadium. <laughs> that would be pretty fun, and the whole world would expect us to go over there and get whooped, which is exactly how I like it. So look, we got to get there first. You know, I, I'm not thinking about that just yet. That would be fun, but I've got four other starts before that that are three or four. I don't know how many that are the most important starts of my life. So we'll worry about those first. And when we get to the other one, we'll be ready for that. I would feel, I know that I would feel good going into, I feel good about any game that Adam Wainwright starts, but if it's a big game and it's a postseason game, even if the opposition that the Cardinal offense is facing is Max Scherzer, I would feel good about the Cardinals being able to hold their own. So would I. Adam Wainwright has given you zero reasons to doubt him this season, especially in a game like this. Adam Wainwright has the pedigree. You know that when the moment is there, he's going to take it. He has been in the postseason before. He understands the pressure, and he lives for stuff like that. So I do not doubt Adam Wainwright at all. Now, on the other side of this, if we were talking about this maybe two weeks ago, I'd say, but if Scherzer is the opposing pitcher, I don't feel great about the Cardinals offense in that game. It's not that I don't have faith in Adam Wainwright. It's that I don't know if the offense can match up with Max Scherzer. But Randy, over the past three games, and I know Max Scherzer is a completely different animal than facing anyone from the Mets, Mm -hmm. I have started to see signs of life from this Cardinals offense that we have not seen so far this season. And I'm starting to have confidence in them that they can really stack up against anyone. Now, it'll be different, I think, once we see them versus Milwaukee and versus some really, really strong starting Mm -hmm. pitching versus the Brewers. But... I don't know. Maybe it's recency bias. Maybe we're living in the moment. But right now, if it was one game, winner take all, Adam Wainwright gives you the, has the ball, and you know he's going to put you, if you're the Cardinals, in a good chance to win, I like their chances. If you are playing against the Dodgers or the Brewers, you have to expect that you're going to be playing one nothing, 2-1, 3-2 games. 3-2 will be a high-scoring game mm-hmm. if you're playing against those teams. You need to be able to manufacture runs, and you need to obviously be able to hit good pitching. And that's one advantage the Cardinals have, especially with Goldschmidt and Arenado, is that those two have a history of hitting good pitching, and it'll be interesting to see how they, as a tandem, show up in the biggest moments in October because that's why they're here. That's why they showed up in St. Louis because they wanted to play in October. 
And I'm going to push back on Adam Wainwright on one thing. The majority of people out there will probably think the Cardinals are going to go back and get whooped. But Cardinals-Dodgers postseason, when the Dodgers are favored, we've mm-hmm. seen the Cardinals rise up in those situations before. And I wonder if people in our life, Dodger fans, if it is the Cardinals that end up facing the Dodgers in that moment, if they're saying anybody but the Cardinals. I'm sure they are. Yeah, that's just what you have to believe. And if you're a Dodger fan and you remember Pete Cosman, you remember Matt Adams, and you remember the things that have happened to Clayton Kershaw mm-hmm. in St. Louis over the years, you have to feel that way. Now, if you're a Cardinal fan, you go back to 2009 and you think about what happened with Matt Holiday and that series that the Dodgers wound up winning. But in the here and now, Wainwright just last week goes eight and a third. He allows four runs on seven hits against a, a superb Offense and the Cardinals wound up winning the game, but it was a bullpen game. We aren't going to have bullpen games by the Dodgers in the playoffs. So as good as Adam was at home last week, and he's definitely better at home than on the road, as good as he was against the Dodgers, against a pitcher like Scherzer or Urias or Bueller, he's going to have to be even better. Yes, he will. And I haven't looked at the Dodgers schedule. I can check it right now. But I'm not so sure that Scherzer will be set up for that game. They have plenty of ability be, they did a bunch of bullpen games last week to set it up whatever way they want for a wild card game. And my guess would be that Dave Roberts and Mark Pryor would set up Scherzer to go either in a playoff game, uh, game one, or in the wild card game. Yeah, the, the good thing for the Dodgers is that they have some options there. Yeah, they, <laughs> they've got such a big lead, they don't have to worry about when guys pitch. All they need to do now on September 16th is set things up for October. Okay, so right now Bueller goes... Friday. They're off tonight. Scherzer on Saturday. So we can do that math. Let's see. He, his next start after Saturday, September 18th, lines up for September 24th. So then one, two, three, four. Sorry, we're doing some math here. One, two, three. So he will likely pitch October the 30th or the 1st. September 30th or 1st? Yeah, September 30th or October 1st. So they'll have to move him back so so that he's available for the 3rd. And they won't need him for the 3rd. So all they have to do is move him back. And if he pitches on the 30th, then he's got the 30th, 1st, 2nd, 3rd. Yeah, on schedule right now, he would be ready for a postseason, for a playoff game. And they can adjust. As yeah, you said, they, they, have a, they have a comfortable yeah. lead. They're, they're going to figure it out. Why but. have anybody else? And by the way, Julio Urias leads the National League in wins. So this that's a pretty big point to make, that you have the National League win leader and maybe the National League Cy Young Award winner in Bueller. Scherzer will probably win it, but why not Walker Bueller? He's been great. So you've got those two guys, and we're saying the guy the guy, number one, and you've got Clayton Kershaw, by the way. Yeah. But the guy is Max Scherzer. And isn't this what we always hoped for? Even if it's one game, Scherzer, Wainwright, winner advances, postseason baseball. Yep. And I know a lot of Cardinals fans wanted the Cardinals to be in a better position, but this is this is why we love postseason baseball, because anything can happen. You can go against the beast that is Max Scherzer and slay him, even though the Cardinals have been average this season. They could get hot at the right time, and I don't know what the outcome will be, but I'm hoping we get that matchup, Randy, because it will be epic. It'll be great. And think about this. I just said that Max Scherzer is the guy. There's no question about it for the Dodgers. Julio Urias is 18-3 and with a 2.99, and he struck out 180 hitters this year. 
And and he's not the guy. He's probably not even the second guy. Yeah, they're good. And if they are good. Kershaw were healthy, he probably wouldn't even be the third guy. Walker Bueller, by the way, only has 14 wins. His earned run average, though, 2.32. And you're saying Max Scherzer is the guy, and you don't give Bueller the time of day. He's 14 and 3 with a 2.32, 189 strikeouts, but Max Scherzer is the man. And he's not in consideration. It's incredible. That is. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk some NFL. The NFL weekend gets underway tonight. The Washington football team hosting the Giants here on 101 ESPN. ESPN's Jeff Darlington will join us to talk about that and more on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, good to have you with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. We've got the Giants and the Washington football team tonight, 7 o'clock here on 101 ESPN. And we welcome to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, ESPN's Jeff Darlington. Jeff, great to have you with us on the show. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate hey, it. We, we, we want to start with this. Uh, we had a vote of our listeners, and we are a Miami Dolphins show. We know that you covered the Dolphins. You're a Miami guy. How should we feel about our first place Dolphins after week one? <laughs> Um, are you really a Miami Dolphins show? Michelle yes. grew up as a Dolphins fan, yeah. Jeff, oh, Jeff okay. we don't have a team. We don't have a team here. They got ripped from us, so we want to cover the NFL, and we put it up to the listeners. We put it up to a poll, and the listeners in St. Louis, they voted Dolphins. That's hilarious. I kind of love that. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's, a nice, it's a nice team, you know? You pick, pick, a, pick a low stock and watch it ride. <laughs> I, think, um, I, I think that it's uh, – look, here's the good news about the Dolphins – I was talking to some people in the organization this offseason, and they were pretty bullish on the team coming into this year, probably more so than most, and not just that kind of fake optimism, but instead pointing toward the fact that last year their um, point differential, like the win-loss, basically margin of victory, margin of defeat, added up to like they were like top 10 in the NFL. And the point there is that they weren't getting blown out in games. They were always in it, except for, I think, one game. Uh And if you look at historically teams that are on the cusp of becoming true playoff contenders, usually the year before that's what you start to see. You start to see that point differential really change. And I think that this, this was a perfect example. This game against new England was a perfect example of that sort of coming into fruition that they won the close game. Uh, And, and you know, everybody wants to talk about new England. Oh yeah. Mac Jones looked good. The Patriots were close. It could have gone either way. Well, it didn't. And those are the games that the Dolphins have long lost. So the fact that they are now on the winning side of that type of game, that's when I start to say, well, maybe the time is about to change for the Dolphins. Oh, we love that, Jeff. Thank you for that positivity. Um, <laughs> I want to ask you about two surprising quarterback performances for me. I was shocked at Jameis Winston, the Saints coming out and absolutely stomping the Packers. Yeah. And Jalen Hurts looked so impressive to me as well. Three touchdowns in that win for the Eagles. So which performance is closer to reality as far as their talent is concerned, Jameis Winston or Jalen Hurts? I think Jameis is closer to reality, I, and, and, that, I, and I understand that that comes with the realization that you know, he's not going to have a five-touchdown game every time. Um, both can be realistic uh, potential for, for each of those guys, and the reason for both of those is the coach that they're matched up with. Now, we know what Sean Payton can do, uh, and I, I think that 
I was talking to Peyton on Saturday about a conversation he had had with Winston on the bus going from practice to the hotel the week before, and Winston was really talking to him about the cerebral approach toward game planning for each opponent. And it was this deep conversation where Peyton kind of walked away from it, realizing that Winston is at this point in his career where he's taking a much more sophisticated approach, where you can truly, you know, take a macro perspective on how to attack each opponent as opposed to merely um, trying to win each play with your arm. And I think that that could go a very long way for a guy who obviously needs to, to play smarter football. Jalen Hurts, on the other hand, um, I think Nick Sirianni, who the Eagles coach, who nobody knew before he got that job, I actually knew a little bit about him in Indianapolis. And he was creating these game plans for Indianapolis probably more so than people realize. Frank Wright gets the credit, but Sirianni was a little bit the guy behind the guy. And I, I think that we're seeing that come to fruition now in Philadelphia. So promising outlooks for both quarterbacks because of the coach that they're paired with. ESPN's Jeff Darlington with us on 101 ESPN. And Jeff, uh, on the other side of the ball from Jameis was Aaron Rodgers and so much discussion nationally about Rodgers this week. I personally am more concerned about the Packers' defense uh, with Mm -hmm. some of the deficiencies they have. And Joe Barry, their new defensive coordinator, he hasn't had a good year as a defensive coordinator yet. Should we be more maybe concerned about the Packer defense than about Aaron Rodgers? Um, probably, uh, but I'm also, I think I, I agree with that assessment. I, I'm not concerned about Rogers, nor am I worried about, I know a lot of talk on our show this morning on get up was the relationship between Rogers and the team. I was talking to Matt LaFleur, the head coach on Saturday, and he told me he's never been closer with Aaron, that their off season of having these honest conversations have drawn them closer. And I believe that as for the defense, um, I think Joe Barry did a really good job at times with the Rams. And obviously you could point toward the personnel that the Rams had with him. But but I, I think that, you know, let's give it some time, I guess. I want to let this one breathe a little bit. I have believed that the Packers would be a Super Bowl contender in the offseason. And despite that absolute terrible performance, I, uh, I'm not willing to, to change, to sway based on, based on one loss, albeit a pretty, a pretty damning loss. Speaking of letting it breathe, Jeff, I wonder how they're feeling in Chicago with Andy Dalton and Justin Fields. Yeah. I know everyone is clamoring for Justin Fields to to go ahead and get the starting job, and I know that he probably puts the team in a better position to win, but you're talking to a market that watched Sam Bradford go out there um, mm-hmm. when he didn't have a great offensive line, and we saw what happened with him. So even though Justin Fields is probably the better quarterback, is starting him now or starting him early in the season really putting him in the best position to succeed? Well, I think you just kind of rationalized Matt Nagy's exact approach and philosophy um, that he wants to make sure when he puts Justin Fields in there that it's, it is the best time. That, you know, Lewis Riddick, who knows that organization very well, one of our analysts who calls Monday Night Football, was saying that, uh, this morning on our air that, that, you know, Nagy knows that Justin Fields is the better quarterback, uh, but he does not want to put him in the game until he is ready to thrive in the NFL. I could certainly make the argument the other way and say the time is now, just do it before the season gets away from you. But, um, but, I, but to your point about Sam Bradford, and then again, look at Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. You can't convince me that Trevor Lawrence isn't the best quarterback in this class and honestly one of the best to come out you know, in the likes of Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. But he looked terrible in week one for the most part because he couldn't get protection. So there, there is a risk to putting a guy out there, and if you do that with Justin Fields too early – 
I promise you all these fans that want to love Justin Fields right now will quickly turn on him. So I get the patience. I just, I also understand how hard it is for fans when they just want that new hope, that new energy on the field. You mentioned Jacksonville, Jeff, and Urban Meyer says no chance that he's interested in the USC job. Do you believe him? Yeah, I do believe him. (laughs) But the funny thing to me is like, what does it say about the situation with Urban Meyer, the Jaguars, and just the overall vibe that after one, his first NFL game with the number one overall quarterback, we are literally questioning whether we believe if Urban Meyer will leave for USC or stay with the Jaguars. Like that to me says a lot about our faith and confidence in this experiment. <laughs> but I do believe that he will not go to USC. I don't even know like – I don't even know how coveted of a job that is these days. And, and honestly, I, like, I just, I, I don't see Urban Meyer going. Hey, I want to get your take on the, the big win for the Arizona Cardinals and everybody in the NFC West won over the weekend, but kind of flying under the radar because you've got the, the glitz and glamour of the Rams. You've got the Garoppolo land situation in San Francisco. The Seahawks are the Seahawks and they had all their stuff during the off season. Mm-hmm. What'd you think of, and what do you think of Arizona? I like them, and consistency is going to be the key. Um, we saw – I was at a few games last year where they played, and, and you could see Kyler Murray. Like, you see these plays, and you're like, man, I get it. I understand why he is different than everybody in the league aside from maybe Lamar Jackson. Uh, but like Lamar, it's you have to have consistency in that area, and we just – we have not seen enough of that to be able to be overly bullish. In that divi- I mean, that division is so difficult. Um, so – I think I liked what I saw. I believe that's what they're capable of. But until they do that week in, week out, it's going to be really difficult to just project that they are truly here to stay. Jeff Darlington, we have ESPN on our studio television all the time. So we see you all the time, even though the volume is down because we're on the air. But it's great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for taking some time with us. Yeah, it's best to keep the volume down when I'm on, really, honestly. It's not, there's, no, there's no point. Turning it up. No, you're, you're great. Keep up the great work, and hopefully during the season we'll be able to catch up again. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, Jeff, take care. Jeff Darlington, ESPN, with us on 101 ESPN. There's always so many headlines in the NFL. It's amazing, isn't it? And they do a great job of manufacturing things. For example, Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer, you, you get a lot of material, uh, especially nationally on Get Up and on their NFL Live shows. Is Urban Meyer going to leave after a season in Jacksonville? We can even manufacture great stories from the NFL on a regular basis. We're asking if he's going to leave after one game. One game, right. <laughs> and I think that the offseason was carried by Andy Dalton versus Justin Field debate, debates. Well, that will the, the, set, the last part, but you had Rodgers in the trade. You had the at the beginning of the offseason, it was Russell Wilson's trade demands. That's right. Right. Deshaun so, Watson. Right. All of that stuff. And now we get into the season and we're we didn't talk about Jameis during the offseason. We didn't talk about Jameis uh, replacing Drew Brees during the offseason. And now we got it. And we've got stories galore with the NFL. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up on 101 ESPN. You're killing me, Smalls. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, this is always fun. It's time for 
You're killing me, Smalls. Some great news for soccer fans in the region, Randy. St. Louis City SC has unveiled their brand new app. All right. You can download it right now. It's in the App Store. And let me tell you, this app has everything you could possibly want if you are a soccer fan or you're looking for behind-the-scenes content or updates on the team, updates on the stadium. It's beautiful. The interface is so clean. It's so easy to use. And I have to tell you, a shameless plug here, I was so thrilled to be able to work with St. Louis City SC on this project. I did some behind-the-scenes content where you get to meet some of the Academy of coaches and if you download the app right now you can see my one-on-one interview with David Critchley who's one of the Academy coaches it was great to work on and I know a lot of St. Louis City SC fans are dying for new content they're dying for new news and this is where you're going to be able to get it right in the app is it lit is the uh, is the app lit oh yeah it's beyond lit okay I'm downloading, downloading, downloading. 73%, 81% if you want to know. 94% and 97%. We're almost Almost there there. installing. And then it'll say open in a moment. When you open it and you go through to set everything up, you set up your own custom kit with your name on it. You get to pick your number. You have an entire profile. It's very cool. So once again... Go download it in your app store now. Should I get uh, kit number 10 or is that presumptuous of me? Because 10 is, is it 9 or 10 that's always the best player? I chose 13. Okay. Small and 13. 13. You can choose whatever you want, Randy, because if you're the best, you make the number. The number doesn't make you. You make the number. Okay. I'll put it together. Can I add something real quick that I just got from somebody via email from St. Louis City SC? Yes. Um, This is also regarding the app. Every fan who downloads the new app within 24 hours of launch will be entered to win one of 100 special edition St. Louis City SC t-shirts. Incredible note, Emily. Thank you for that. So everybody needs to download it now so you can enter to win. Okay. I'm working on it, Michelle. I'm I'm literally not listening to you so that I can work on this. (laughs) Okay, well, Randy, I'll go ahead and choose a story that has some sound in it so that you can get your app set up, all right? You're killing me, Smalls. Well, we talked about this last segment with Jeff Darlington. Urban Meyer has not had a great start to his tenure in Jacksonville, uh, especially coming off of a loss week one. And with the USC job opening, a lot of people started to connect the dots. They think Urban might not be long for Jacksonville, that he might jump back into college and become the head coach of the Trojans. He was asked about this yesterday. Unfortunately for you, some rumors came out yesterday connecting you to the USC job. I just, just want to give you the opportunity to refute it. So you know, there's no chance that uh, I'm, I'm here and committed to try to build an organization. Do you believe him? No, not at all. <laughs> I am still uh, haunted by Nick Saban with our Dolphins saying, I will not be the head coach at Alabama. Multiple times, I will not be the coach at Alabama. And then going to take the job at Alabama. True, but there was Drew Brees factoring in there. And Urban got the guy that he wanted in Trevor Lawrence. He got the guy to build around. And even though I completely understand that you should never take things like this at face value, especially when it's a coach that has moved before, If he ever was really curious about what he could do in the NFL or what he could build in the NFL, this is the perfect opportunity because he has Trevor Lawrence. But maybe he's already determined that he doesn't like to deal with the media in the NFL and being having follow up questions, the media having follow up questions in the NFL. I don't know what the media is like in California in regards to SC because it's that is the program Mm -hmm. there. And they haven't been good for a long time. 
And so I can imagine that if he went there and didn't have success, he would have to answer questions there, too. I think there might be more pressure on him if he left Jacksonville and took the USC job to succeed than there would be if he stayed in Jacksonville. How much pressure is there really in Jacksonville right now? None. None. And he's probably making more money than he would in Southern California. I just don't believe. I, I don't believe that there is no chance. So what are you putting at? 10? 15? Yeah, I would say 10%. Are you still working on that app over there? No, I'm sharing it to my Insta. <laughs> and follow Randy. What is it? RJ Character on Instagram? Yes, ma'am. RJ Character on Instagram. Put follow. my sweater up there or my kit. <laughs> follow Randy to see what his kit looked like. And again, download the St. Louis City SC app. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, we talked about this with Jeff Darlington as well. The shocking 38-3 to victory for the New Orleans Saints over the Green Bay Packers. And the Saints defense looked great in that game, but that is still no excuse for some of the stuff that we saw out of Aaron Rodgers. And former Packers tight end Jermichael Finley talked about Aaron Rodgers and what maybe caused him to have such a shaky performance in week one. That's the National Football League. Uh, each offseason, you got work like it's the last season. And I just don't see a work ethic in Aaron Rodgers that I have in previous years. And uh, actually, you can see it right through his his helmet. The eyes and the face tell, tells everything of the personality. And uh, I just don't see it, that NFL hunger and, and just feel hungry to go win another championship. I just think it's cliche and talk. Um, that, that guys get up there and say, oh, I want to win a championship. Oh, it sounds good, but I want to see what you do on the field. All due respect to Jermichael, he wouldn't have been on that show if it wasn't for Aaron Rodgers. So I, I, I am going to have more faith in Aaron Rodgers putting his money where his mouth is and saying, I want to win a, a championship than Jermichael Finley saying that it's all talk and cliche. He has done several interviews where he talked about seriously considering retirement. So if he wasn't committed to winning and wasn't committed Mm -hmm. to the team, he could have easily walked away. He's made enough money. He didn't want to come back to Green Bay. He wanted to spend time with his fiance. He could have easily walked away. He had to fully commit to coming back. And I know that there was all those pictures of him in Hawaii in the offseason. A lot of guys travel in the offseason. They're just not as popular as Aaron Rodgers, and they weren't dealing with the drama that he was dealing with in the postseason, and they weren't on a vacation with Shailene Woodley and Miles Teller. So their vacations didn't get blasted across the world. Yeah, it's. I think and it's one of the great things about the National Football League is that we can overreact as much as we do, and we do every single week. But the Packers have been in bad situations before, and they've been able to to work their way through it. And I think as Aaron has said before, and will probably have to say again at some point. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. Take it or leave it. He quotes himself at some point this season. Take it. Yes. 100% take it. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't do it after the game. Yeah. But he'll have time to do that. You're killing me, Smalls. And finally, Randy, we talked a lot about the Manning cast with Peyton Manning and Eli Manning and how entertaining it was. And it got 
pretty much universally praised on social media. A lot mm-hmm. of people that were watching were sharing clips and talking about how much they enjoyed it. But this is why I always say that I think Twitter is just an echo chamber of the same people that love to hear themselves talk. I don't think Twitter is representative of the actual audience or reality in any way because it's just people that want to hear their own opinions back and forth and get validation for their opinions. And this stat that I'm going to read you proves that I'm right. So 57.6% of respondents over 10,000 to a a pro football talk Twitter poll said they were watching the Mannings on ESPN2, okay? Mm -hmm. But the feed only drew 5.2% of Monday Night Football's overall audience. So a, a social media poll that's saying, are you watching? 57.6% of people on social media saying, yep, we're watching. In reality, only 5.2% of the overall Monday Night Football audience was watching the Manning cast. Interesting. You're right. It is an echo chamber. And not a lot of people do tweet. There are, uh, of the population of America, there is not a majority aren't on Twitter. I I believe it's less than 10% of the people that are on Twitter and only 2% of those tweet. So you're 100% right. That's why you can't you have to take it all with a grain of salt. You can't make snap judgments on what's trending or what you see on Twitter no. because that is not representative of your entire audience. Exactly. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And by the way, I am completely signed up with my St. Louis City SC app. What number did you select? 27. Oh, cool. I just want to say I'm really proud of you for making it through that segment because I know you were working on the app the entire time, but you did a really good job faking it with me. I appreciate that. I wasn't faking it. I am a multitasker, Michelle. You did a great job. I can't believe you were able to do both. Our city, our spirit. See, there you go. Isn't it a beautiful app? It's a beautiful app. Yep. Congratulations to them. And go get that app, too, at St. Louis City, just uh, in your app store. Coming up next... Now, Michelle thinks I don't listen to her. I do. But BK and Ferrari are coming up next. I don't. So we're going to have a crossover, and I won't have any idea what they've said to me. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Danny Mac is out today. He's got He's doing some stuff with the kids sports stuff and he uh, taking advantage of the Cardinals day off as well so we've got deep BK and Ferrario for four full hours from 10 to 2 here on 101 ESPN and Alex Ferrario joins us in studio how you doing fantastic some people will be excited a lot of people on the text line probably won't be but that's okay Alex everyone's excited today after that Cardinal victory last night that's true we turned the tide a couple of days ago BK and I because we were super down on it super out but man I think it was after game one against the Mets and I told BK the play that was Paul Goldschmidt at first base to Yachty to get that out that's where I'm like Okay, I'm back in 100%. And then to Arenado. And then, yeah, to our our golden goose, who we've been calling for super long, Nolan Arenado. That's the part I love about it. I put 95% down on Nolan Arenado, and he's about to take this team into the playoffs. Yeah, did you know this, Randy? Speaking of believers, when no one thought the Cardinals were going to make a move, Mm -hmm. when no one thought Nolan Arenado was even possible, when Anthony Stalter, Alex Ferrario, and I did the show, the three raviolis, Mm -hmm. for a long time, three Italians, just chopping it up like a little chopped salad every day. Italian chopped. Italian chopped, of course. course. A a beautiful vinaigrette, some pepperoncinis in the mix there. Watch out now, little black olives. Oh, my God. Ah, Hold the olives for me. Okay. Extra peppers. We'll put those on mine. But anyway, Alex 
consistently said 95%. He's, he was a believer that the Cardinals would get Arenado 95%. So I'm glad that you're a believer now in this team because we need more people on the bandwagon. I know. Well, it took me a while, and unfortunately, they uh, they just weren't that exciting. But then, man, it's just all of a sudden. It's the devil magic, right, RK? It is. And it's consistent belief. Adam Wainwright never deviated from his belief in this team. We had Greg Amzinger on this morning and played the cut from him at the All-Star game where Nolan Arenado came up to Greg and said, we're going to play in the wildcard game. And nobody else in the world thought that except for the people in that Cardinal clubhouse. So yep. congratulations to them. And you got to give credit to Schultz because he keeps this team going. He keeps them believing. You, you can say what you want about bullpen moves and you can say what you want about press conferences but this team goes out and plays hard and they don't quit. Does that mean we also need to give some credit to Jeff Albert since the Cardinals offense has come alive? These Let's past not few overdo games? it here, Michelle. <laughs> I'm, just, okay. I'm just asking. You know, we're giving credit to Mike Schilt. We're certainly giving credit to John Mozeliak, Michael Gersh in the front office for the moves that they made, uh, the J-Hop and, and John Lester moves at the time. I think it was a collective meh. And now we're saying yes. So does that mean Jeff Albert gets some love as well? It's only fair to ask the question. Yeah, I don't have an answer for you yet. TBD? Crickets. Yeah. yeah. Come on, Alex. Give I, us an answer. I don't, have an, I don't have an answer either. I will say that I find it very funny that when things are bad, it's Jeff Albert's fault. But when things are good, nobody speaks of Jeff Albert. That's witness, true. witness protection when things are going well for the Cardinals. But that's okay, right? I just don't think that under any circumstances, and I know that there are baseball players that are highly intelligent individuals, but I don't think as a group you should present a baseball team with a high-level curriculum. I agree with that, especially if it takes years for them to get comfortable with right. it. Yeah. But I'm just saying, it's only fair to ask. Hey. It is only fair to ask. And I know more people are going to say, I need a bigger sample size to really yeah. give the credit where the credit's due. But past three games. I feel like you also happened. asked the question, too, though, because we've seen Colton Wong be outspoken about it when he mm-hmm. went to Milwaukee saying that, you know, I just had to get out of my own way and start doing my own thing. We heard Tyler O'Neill tell us on BK and Ferrario a couple months ago that, like, his time off, he was able to kind of focus on what he was trying to accomplish. So as much as you want to give Jeff Albert credit, you also sit here and go, man, are the players just basically saying, no, nah, I'm going to do my own thing. Sounds like it, doesn't because it? Because Edmundo yeah. Sosa steps up and just starts swinging. Yep, and where Mundo Sosa came from, they don't have high-level curriculum hitting. Yeah. And it's yeah. not, not a surprise that with the analytics movement and all the thought that goes into analytics, that the best hitters in baseball are Fernando Tatis and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And when he's healthy, Ronald Acuna. It's guys that grew up, see the ball, hit the ball. Well, I believe the quote from Colton Wong was, I stopped doing everything the Cardinals told me to do, mm-hmm. and I'm having the best offensive season of my career. Yeah. And... Not in the defense of Jeff Albert necessarily, but we have to point out it's just responsible to say that he spent a lot of years doing the exact same thing and not hitting the ball. Yeah. Colton Wong stepped to the plate and swung as hard as he could mm-hmm. for the first six years of his career. And here how in many Louis. hitting coaches did he go through? I mean, he had like three different ones, including yeah. Jeff Albert, because right. they switched in the middle of it to Badaska. So he was going through the slump for so and long where Mabry. it was like, you can't hit, you're going to yeah. sit on the bench. Then he starts to play more. But yeah, he's gone through three or four guys. Yeah, yeah. Now he's swinging as hard as he can, but he's hitting the ball. Yeah, yeah. that was not Jeff Albert specific. <laughs> right. No doubt about it. And Alex, I know you're getting ready for Blues training camp. And we were talking to JR this morning about the cap situation because they still have to sign Robert Thomas. And my suggestion to 
JR, and he agreed, was there must be a deal out there that they can make that we don't know about. That if, if Doug Armstrong needs to call a general manager and say, okay, we'll take this money, we'll, we'll pay Vladimir Tarasenko to not play for us, and here is X amount, there's got to be something to relieve the cap pressure that the Blues aren't revealing to us right now. I think so. I really do believe that there have been offers to Doug Armstrong that he would like to accept, but he also, I think, is sitting there going, no, you know what? I'm going to accept what I want, right? Like, I'm going to get all of the money taken off of our books from Vladimir because that's what I want. And I'm thinking it's going to come to the point where he's in a jam where he says, okay, we have to do this now, right? Like, you have to make this move. But he has stood sturdy on the fact that you're going to have Vladimir Tarasenko in camp. We've heard Craig Berube say it. Tyler Bozik said it on the fast lane with the guys. I, I do believe now that he's been skating, Doug Armstrong has told him, look, we'll move you, but it's going to be at our price Mm -hmm. and the only way that's going to happen is if you go out there and perform well so for right now I can't believe it because for some reason I internally I still believe he's not going to be a part of this team on opening night but he's been here he's been skating for the last week with these guys so if there were problems in terms of being concerned of what it was going to look like and take away from the locker room I would imagine those things have already been addressed if he's skating with these guys it's a gamble on both sides. It is. Because what if he comes out and he doesn't look effective or that shoulder isn't 100% and he his value drops or there? What happens if you're 5-5 five and five and the only guy scoring for you is him? Mm-hmm. It's a gamble either way. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, feel well, like, I like that or better. I feel like I that's like that a benefit, or. too, because then it's... See, the way I look at all of these things, too, is every team goes into training camp with a question mark, right? Like, no team goes in and says, no, we're 100% ready to go. Mm-hmm. And they're always looking at it saying, eh, we could always use more scoring. And there's certain teams. You know, the Islanders were connected with the Blues. The Rangers have been connected with the Blues. We saw the Hurricanes connected with mm-hmm. the Blues. If that's the case, they're sitting there going, yeah, we'd love Tarasenko, but we don't know what he is. I'd say give it a couple of preseason games, and if he lights it up, I wouldn't be surprised if Vladdy plays in the first three or four preseason games for the Blues, if he lights it up, you know there are going to be teams calling Doug going, hey, uh, we're ready to make a move real quick. Do you think that some of the guys in the dressing room are like, let's just dish it to 91, let him score a lot, let's make him look awesome? Definitely. <laughs> they had a group meeting saying, hey, get the puck to Vladdy. Just get the puck to Vladdy. <laughs> hey, we're looking forward to BK and Ferrario. Four hours worth. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you later. Sounds good, guys. Have fun today. Alex Ferrario, Brandon Kylie, coming up. Thanks to our producer-engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you. And Michelle, this was fun. We've got a happy Friday tomorrow. Yes, can't wait. And we're four hours tomorrow. We are. Oh, and, there uh, we go. We're yeah. going to talk to Big Mac, Mark McGuire, will join us for tomorrow's show as we celebrate 2011. He was a hitting coach for that team. For all of us, thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. 
Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.